<laughs> Poor Lucy. Lucy was leading us in on this yep. one. I wish you could hear. Actually, yep. I'm glad you can't. <laughs> hey, strangers. No, that totally just threw me off because you and I were quiet to record and Lucy was whining upstairs. Because she's dying. She is because she can't come down here and, mm-hmm. and be on the podcast. So she's up there just whining away. But if you've never been here before, we are the Strange Sessions. I am Kurt, and I am joined by my luxurious co-host, Krista. Dang. Dang. (laughs) Dying. How is Krista? Good. My stomach is Is my hair not too short? Your hair looks perfect. Kurt was all worried. I I don't like when people have long hair, and they're like, I'm going to get my hair cut short. That drives me nuts, because I I like like long hair. Seven inches (laughs) cut. Off, but it's still pretty No, it long. looks good. Yeah. 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 It looks nice. Thanks. I got the seal of approval from Kurt. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. Um, weather talk. It's been... Uh, oh, I just want to say to our listeners in Germany and around the world in the country with the crazy flooding. flooding, yeah. Yeah. I hope everybody's doing okay. Manitowoc got hit really, really bad. We got like five inches of rain in one day. I think we got seven inches. Yeah, it's crazy. And it was, you know, there were cars floating down the street. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't hear like of any trailer, flooding here. The trailer park that's down the street from my apartment is flooded really bad. Mm. Uh, that waterfront wine bar that I go to with my friends sometimes, uh, five inches of, of water in there because they're along the river. Mm-hmm. So oh. They, so they're, they're like their terminals and stuff are ruined wow so it was bad here we're very everything is uphill from the lake yeah so at least we have that going for us but i don't know if there was anything i was gonna ask i was wondering if you had any flooding problems down here when ever just ants yeah (laughs) no i mean if you if you go up the road and turn right there's some flooding no it's 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 like a straight it's really downhill to the lake we'd never have to worry about any kind of flooding here so that's nice that is very nice but it, it was bad. So in Germany, like some places are just getting nailed. I heard flooding, a lot of people so, died too. Yes, so it's not just damage. All of our strangers are doing okay. Yeah. Um, we have outs. listeners in Germany. We do have listeners oh, in Germany. Okay. Awesome. Hi, German Hi, Germany. listeners. We love you. I'm Uh-oh. German. I'm very German, actually. Where were, where was it that we were big? Was it Hungary? Or... No, Slovakia. Slovakia. Slovakia <laughs> yeah. and some Apparently said, upstate, upstate New York. Upstate New York, which is awesome. Hey, New York. I know we have. I know of a couple listeners in that area, but... I've never they... been to upstate. I would love to see upstate yeah, New York. I've been to like Manhattan. That's about yeah, it. Yeah, I've been to New York City, but... Shout outs to our newest strangers, and those are Andrew Jackson, who well, I dang. don't believe is the president. <laughs> uh, Time traveler. Yeah. Donna Martin Krolik, Kate Kate... Tui Wong. Kate Kate. Kate Kate. That's what her name. I think it's Tui Ong, Michelle Kutzer, and Ashley Marie Baker. Sweet. And I want to give a special shout out again to Allie and Ev for sending me that. I sent you that video. Yes. They sent me just this super sweet video of them talking to me and and like about what the podcast means to them and everything. And it's just so sweet. So Allie and Ev, love you guys. Such sincere emotion. Yes. Love you guys so much. Yeah. Um, Thank you guys. They're going to, they plan on coming to the midwest next year so we might have them on the podcast yeah, if they can get fun. if they can get over this way you know I, like people say i'm going to be going to minnesota so maybe we'll swing by and see you guys yeah it's, like, it's, a not, seven yeah, hour drive. it's like a seven hour drive <laughs> maybe but more. sophie and adam did it oh they totally did yeah, yeah. they need, Aww, we need to see, to see i know we need to see again. sophie and adam again too <sighs> anyway miss people housekeeping uh oh, well we have a camera sitting here a video camera. Um, we have some lights. I bought some equipment and our so Krista's way more excited about this video stuff than I am. <laughs> I don't want to be a video podcast, but well, but this will be for monthly subscribers. I know. So you have to be a monthly subscriber if you want to see a video version of the podcast. And I, I'm eventually going to have levels of like 
like the lowest monthly subscriber I think is three bucks. And what we we're do- what we're doing now, everybody's going to keep getting. This is yeah, not gonna, this is this not going to change at all. No, no, no. But if you're a one time subscriber, and we have many of those, they get an unedited audio version of the podcast. Um, so that went out last time. And now Jeremy, our one monthly subscriber, is going to get, because we're still working on this, he's going to get a video version of the taste test. But in the future, our like lowest level monthly subscribers will get a video version of the podcast. And I think the next level up, I would like, the site is coming up with levels, levels, not levels. The next level up will get everything plus an extra off topic shorter podcast episode yeah. so you'll actually get extra content that nobody else is getting yeah that is just gonna be i think we're gonna call it side sessions yes i love it's that. it's gonna be just something it's not it's not gonna be paranormal it's just gonna be something that i happen to stumble across that's interesting that's interesting yeah. to me so i research it a little bit they're not gonna be long episodes uh they're gonna vary in length some might only be like maybe half an hour yeah some might be longer than that i feel like they're gonna be more conversational because we're just gonna be like talking i think a little more Cool. to each other but and we're not going to be doing a taste test we're not going to be doing shout outs we're not going to be doing listener questions it's just going to be a cut and dried you know i researched this this week and i thought it was interesting i think that'll be fun actually yeah. we're recording one today but we're not going to use it for that purpose no we're probably going to put that out as a sample because in there's a august. weekend in august when we're not going to have an episode that it was going to be a break but i think we're just going to release that that weekend so you guys can have like a sample of what like a non-paranormal episode would be yeah. And when I talk about levels, I'm not talking about expensive. I think, like I said, our um, base level for monthly subscriptions is $3 a month. So maybe the next one up will be like 5 It's not going to get outlandish. And maybe we'll top it off at 10 where we include like discounts on merchandise or something yeah. like that. Yep. And like maybe chances to win show notes and merchandise. Yeah. But so. like I said, if don't worry if you don't pay anything because what we're doing right now is what you're still going to get. I mean, we are not yeah. changing up nope. anything with so our original. So if you don't want to pay anything, nothing's changing. Nope. You, you won't miss anything. You'll miss some we wouldn't do unedited, that to you. <laughs> the unedited episodes. You're gonna miss some hijinks and shenanigans and shenanigans and tomfoolery. And, yeah. Oh, the, the thing with Josh blew me away where he brought a package to Meyer. Oh yes. To send. And he had his. Strange, I forgot all about he that. He had his strange sessions shirt on, and the person that took his package knew the podcast. Yeah, that blew me away. Yeah, you and I were both like, "Wow, that's crazy." That to is us. crazy. And this is in Ohio. It's not in our state or anything. No. So. so it's just weird how many people. I don't wear my t-shirt out. I usually only wear it to record. Yeah. I'm wearing a different I've worn mine today, out a but... couple times, but not like out, out. Yeah. Neither one of us has been recognized. And no. I'd and it's, like it's funny that, that, we, that we don't we don't promote ourselves. No, we really don't. We don't like we, like we could get out there and be like, hey, everybody, check out our podcast and all that stuff. And we're not like that. Oh, by think... the way, we forgot to mention, if you don't want to sit through all this, oh. <laughs> oh my God, we're so bad at this. If you don't, so I think we have some new listeners because of the para f- or pod fest that we yeah. did with um, the six other podcasts, yep. which was so much fun. I think we have some new listeners um, from that little shindig that we did. Um, so we <laughs> try to mention at the beginning of every episode and we forgot. We're like 14 minutes in and we forgot. Um, although this is, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> I'm counting unedited stuff. Oh. I forget that this oh. gets shortened. Um, if you don't want to listen to this, Kurt's going to post the timestamp of when the actual topics topic starts because we're still going to do a taste Did test you say now. Tacip, tacip, I don't know. I'm just making up words today. <laughs> wow. So check your show notes if you don't want to sit through this. Skip to the topic. We're cool with that. Yep. We but are. yeah, we we don't we don't promote ourselves at all. That is so, yeah. 
it's shocking to me that we have, you know, I think we have somewhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred, like just everyday listeners. Yeah, I think sometimes listeners are ashamed to tell us they don't like our titillating oh. twenty. And it's I'd like, probably skip through it too. Yeah, I'm like, don't feel bad. It's cool. <laughs> Seriously, it is. It's cooler than the other side of the pillow. It totally is. And yeah, I hate the sound it. of people eating, so I don't think I could listen to it either. <laughs> Speaking of eating, should we? Yeah, let's jump into our taste test. We got a box from Dominique. Want to give a special shout out to Dominique. I love Dominique. She, her and Stephanie in Texas. Stephanie is the one that sent us the entire Missing 411 series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I became friends with them on that Lambda Moo chat. It was like a really early, like a version of a chat, but it was like an, an, an website you could go to and design it's all text. You can make your own room and then you would like run into other people on there and you would chat and go to a different room. Hmm. And I used to love this thing. And Dominique and Stephanie are two people that I've just met on there and just stayed friends with. And it's just so... Is that how they became listeners or they were Yeah, no, they became for... okay. listeners because they knew that I was doing oh, this. And it's just fun. weird to me how like a random connection with somebody yeah. online in this it's chat It's not so thing. random. No, it's not random. But I've been friends with Dominique forever. So she sent us a taste test box. Ooh, exciting. I kind of know what's in it. She gave it away a little bit. But we have a taste test for that. Okay. And I and also have a taste test from the Middle East. We can, we Maybe I should go get a knife so I can cut these in half. Or give you one and I'll do the other. Well, there's three of them. My, I cut them in half. My Okay. My girlfriend and her family live in the Middle East in Oman. They live in Muscat, Oman. And she came home for a visit. And brought some Middle Eastern goodies for nice. us. Nice. Well, for me, but I'm making them for us. Okay, I'm opening a box. Oh, oh my God. I'm moving my <laughs> microphone. People are going to want the video of you opening boxes. Yeah, no kidding. People have already said that. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to... Okay. Just reach in and grab one thing out. Okay. Wait, it's too big to, like, just pull out. Ugh. <laughs> uh. It's like, oh, okay. okay. Wow. There's a bunch of different kinds. It is a big bagel candy. It is Ole Rico Mexican candy mix. (laughs) So that's cool. Okay, I'm just going to grab Ole Rico. What does that mean? Hello, Rico. Ole. Okay. Those sort of look like like licorice-ish. Licorice-ish, you know. Lucas sells oh, a. G- <laughs> oh, Chris is turning the camera on. It okay. is Lucas Salzagardi. It looks like a licorice whip kind of thing. Yeah, a whip. This duck on the cover with sunglasses. Some serious he's, he's looks real. He's the like, driver cool. of he's the a, serious bus. He's like cocky, cool. Yeah. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me take a picture of this. It would be better to have like an intern going around with the camera filming us while we eat. That would be so awkward. Like being like, give me more attitude. Give me more tude. <laughs> Make oh love to the God. camera. Make love to the camera. Okay. Oh, did you see that? I was like, so what is this thing? I don't know There's what like that is. Packet. Is that like a sauce that it goes? It is. There's a sauce. So we're supposed to put a sauce on it? I am so confused. I am also watermelon flavored hot candy oh Oh, i warned you you got a warning oh no strips and tamarino 
flavored too. sauce. Well, so I have to. <laughs> so I, have to I was excited about this until you harshed my mellow with one you. certain word. Hot. Hot. Well, I can't get the sauce open. Good. Oh, I got it. No. I'm just, wow. <laughs> this looks really so weird. about this. Okay. Ugh. Make, make sure you're taking pictures of these. Okay, and I'm going to have to... Ugh, I need paper towel. <sighs> Yuck. I'm going to have to run up. How are we supposed to eat that? I'm going to go get... Should we have just dipped the licorice pieces in, <laughs> in the nasty-looking weird... It looks like taco sauce. I'm going to run upstairs and get a couple things. Okay. I'll be right back. Be right back. This is just weird. I don't know if I'm going to like this. Yeah, I don't know that I'm all right, I brought you. I'm going to put a little bit in a bowl for you. This is very bizarre. This is probably the weirdest taste test because I did not expect this. Oh, that looks like it looks like ground beef. It does look like ground beef. It looks like raw ground beef with taco sauce on it. It better not be really spicy or I'm going to whine a lot. Here, I'll just give you a little. All right. Here's a fork. This just you looks so weird. Wow. This is very complicated. Okay. Are you ready? I'm going to smell it first. I'm putting the whole wad. It doesn't smell I am hot. doing the whole wad at once. Wow. Like, there's so many jokes in there. Okay. Ready? Ready. Oh, it's got this. It's so weird. Oh, it's. <laughs> I think if it didn't have. Oh, hold on. It's like really sour. It's, 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 it's not hot. No, but it's like a mixture of two tastes <laughs> that should not be mixed together. Oh, it's like it's. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh my god! I think the licorice stuff by itself. Oh, we're both making the same face. This is, <laughs> this is not oh, good. It's not spicy at no, all. It's not like hot I'm, at I'm all. not having. But I'd almost wish it were spicy. I I almost wish it was too, and I can't believe I'm saying that. But it's. It's like two things that should not go together. Yeah. Like some stuff that you, like peanut butter and mayonnaise, you wouldn't think would go together, but it went together. Right. Whatever this mess is, this should like not be together. I feel like fish and peanut butter wouldn't go together. This is like fish this and This is like fish butter. and peanut butter. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, you can finish that up. No, I'm good. Let's leave it down here for the ants. <laughs> oh, the ants won't even want that. <laughs> Probably not. Well... I think if it were without the sauce, it'd be better. If it better. was without the sauce, it would be fine. But it, it Maybe was like, the sauce would be good on something else. Like a taco. Yeah, it's sure. Like, it's like somebody threw an extra packet of sauce in. Let's try this. Oh, okay. do not like. All right. I'm giving that a negative one. What do you think? I'm going to give it a one because it could have been worse. Okay. <laughs> if it was super I guess spicy. it could have been fish flavored. Yeah. All right. Ugh, we're going to try. That was, that was bad. It was bad. We're going to try one of my Middle Eastern uh, candies now. It's like a little. It looks like sesame seed nugget. Yeah, but yeah, there, it's covered it in sesame seeds. Are there any nuts? Um, I, The ones that I've, they've all had pistachios. Oh. I don't think this one does though. It's just sesame seeds and sort of like a, um, what would you call it? It's sort of, yeah, I see pistachios in here actually. If you want, if you'd rat, if it's easier, just take a bite out of it and then give it to me. I'm fine. I'm fine knife. taking a. I brought a knife. Ooh. Oh my gosh! That's why it might be easier to take a <laughs> bite out of it. Just give me the other half. I trust your mouth. <laughs> Kurt, trust my mouth. Yeah, those are pistachios. I think you're fine. Ooh. Give it a whiff. 
Ooh, I think it smells Ooh, good. It does smell good. It smells Kay. better than the last hot mess. It does, which is still stuck in my teeth, by the yeah. way. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hmm. Oh. Mm. Well, very heavy on the sesame seed and ginger. You don't like it? Uh-uh. Mm. I actually do. No. It's a lot to chew, though. <laughs> mm. See, I like it. It's not the ho- most horrible thing. <laughs> it's better than what we ate before, but... It's really heavy on ginger, and I mm-hmm. love ginger. It's not what I was expecting, I think. No. No, everyone we've tasted is not what okay. I'm expecting. It's going up in my estimation. Is it? Mm. It's growing on you? Mm-hmm. I think it has a good aftertaste. I, I love think I had sesame to get u- seeds. I had to get used to it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like it, actually. I'm going to give it a six. I'm going to give it a seven. Okay. All right. Hmm. Okay, that's not bad. Now I kind of like it. It got rid of the uh, other taste. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay, I have to be really diligent. About I went from not liking that to liking that really quick. I'm getting this stuff out of here when we leave today. So we don't have ants. Okay, are it we concluding the taste the test? It is. Yes. Then I'm going to stop recording. Okay. Those are some weird tests. <laughs> I am ready. I bumped my I bumped it up to a seven. Did you? Yeah, I like it now. Yeah. I'm keeping mine at a seven. The first one I'm still keeping at a one because that was negative just, one. I, that's just Gross. not right. Yep. Sorry, Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hopefully sure the other stuff. Like I'm, their favorite. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm sure the other stuff is going to be good. Mm-hmm. But that is ole. They Mexi- can't all be winners. School, yeah, something Mexican candy. Hmm. Thank you for sending us that, Dominic. Yeah. She loves the podcast. Very generous. We have a whole bag. Mm, thank you. We got to tackle the Norway sweets next time mm-hmm. too because we're going to get behind on that. Okay, I'm ready. Are we ready? I'm ready. Ready to jump into the main topic? Head first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the main topic, it's a Strange States episode, and it is Colorado. Is that why we were singing John Denver? <laughs> that, that is why we were singing John Denver. Sweet. As always, we start with some facts. My facts. fun facts. I love the fun facts. Yep, me too. Fun fact number one, Netherland, Colorado is home to a body that has been frozen cryogenically for decades, and it is the namesake behind their annual, quote, Frozen Dead Guy Days Festival. <laughs> so, frozen Dead Guys. Frozen Dead Guy Days Festival. That's like they couldn't come up with a better title. I'm glad love, they didn't. Because I love that title, Frozen Dead Guy Days. I kind of like I want to be there for Frozen Dead Guy Days because yeah. I bet they have like cool. I just want to tell people that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm going to Frozen Dead Guy Days. Duh. I bet they have cool food. Yeah, like ice cream? Yeah. (laughs) Could it all be like ice cream? That was a synchronized drink. It was. We're on the same wavelength. We are. Fun fact number two, the term cheeseburger was originally trademarked by Louis Ballast of Denver's Humpty Dumpty Drive-In in in 1935. Mm. A bronze plaque sits on the former site of the restaurant and reads, quote, On this site in 1935, Louis E. Ballast created the cheeseburger. His restaurant, the Humpty Dumpty Barrel Drive-In, was Colorado's first drive-in and was commonly known as The Barrel. The cheeseburger trademark was registered by Mr. Ballast on March 5th, 1935. Well, thank you, Mr. Barrel, because who doesn't yeah, love cheeseburgers? Apparently, the hamburger was invented in <clears throat> Wisconsin and Seymour. Really? I think so. Because I did not know this. Yeah. Like they, there's a lot of fighting about where the hamburger was oh. invented, but Seymour, I think, doesn't Seymour, I, I think, has hamburger days? 
I didn't know there was so much drama around hamburgers. Oh, there is. Just like the ice cream sundae. There's another mm. place that claims they invented the ice Isn't cream sundae. Isn't it Two Rivers. Oh, Two Rivers. Yeah. Is that that old, that old tiny yes, place? Yes, that I've never been in and I want to go there. And I always want to go there with somebody, but I just never think of it when I'm with somebody. Yes, Seymour Hamburger Fest 2021, home of the hamburger. All right. But apparently Colorado, Denver was home of the cheeseburger. All right. Like, They're how, like, why wouldn't we put cheese yeah, on Yeah, why this? would you not put cheese on that? I can't believe the dairy state, Wisconsin, didn't come up we with dropped cheeseburgers. The ball <laughs> we did drop the ball on it. Fun fact number three, Loveland, Colorado. Do you know what Loveland, Colorado is known for? I actually knew this before I, I started researching, <laughs> but I just always thought this was cool. Loveland, Colorado is known for their Valentine's Day remailing program. Hmm. In 1945, the town's postmaster and the stamp club came up with the idea of restamping Valentine's Day cards. They tried getting the program noticed, but it didn't really gain any traction until February 14, 1950, when band leader and singer Guy Lombardo was named Loveland's honorary mayor for the day. He wrote and recorded the song, There's a Lovely Lake in Loveland. After that, the remailing program really took off. What is what does that mean? What remailing program? Are every, you going to explain that? Yes, okay. every year over one hundred and twenty thousand valentines are sent to Loveland and then remailed back out with a special Valentine's Day collector's envelope and Aww, postal stamp. That's cute. It's super cute. Like I I don't know if I know anybody that actually did it, but I know that this is a thing because I remember seeing this on the news that you'd send them a val like if I wanted to send you a valentine, I would send it there, in like a a sealed envelope already so that mm -hmm. and then they would put a stamp on it like a special loveland they have like rubber stamps that they stamp like from loveland you know like the valentine's capital of the world so and you stuff. get your same card back but it's it, got no like... it gets sent to the person then from there oh gotcha yeah but i know a lot of people do that so one hundred twenty thousand valentines a year that's they cute. send from there so it's a cute idea that is a super cute idea but let's loveland colorado number four is emma crawford from the website pikespeak.com, it says, quote, I remember somebody said that I say quote too much, so I'm going to try getting away from saying quote during the episode. Isn't it the proper way to cite a source? It is, but I don't feel like, I, I feel like I do it sometimes when I don't have to. He I can just, I can just say it's from this website. I think and, it was an Instagrammer, and I don't yeah. think he said it was a bad thing. He no, actually but I enjoys it, counting I it. I don't, because I, when I'm editing it, I'm like, oh my God, I say quote too much. So and I, I want to see who it But was. if I say it's from pikespeak.com, I don't think I have to say quote because I'm saying where it's from. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, I guess. Anyway, from from the website. Oh, it's, it's, his name is Christopher Kane, by yes. the way. Thanks, Christopher. From the website pikespeak.com. Arriving in Manitou Springs in 1889, an ailing woman named Emma Crawford hoped the fresh air and effervescent mineral springs would cure her tuberculosis. Sadly, this wasn't the case. In 1891, Crawford passed away due to complications related to her condition. Though her time in Manitou Springs was short, she was smitten with the quaint mountain town. In fact, she loved Manitou Springs so much that she requested that her body be buried atop Red Mountain, one of the city's most famous peaks. Crawford's fiance worked with numerous townspeople to bury the coffin and remains of Emma Crawford at the Red Mountain Summit. Nearly 40 years later, a series of winter and spring storms unearthed the coffin and sent Emma zooming down the muck and mire of the mountainside. When passerby came across the coffin, nothing but a few bones and its nameplate remained. Various parts of Emma's bones have been found throughout Manitou Springs over the years, the most of which have been finally put to rest at the nearby Crystal Valley Cemetery. In honor of Emma Crawford, 
The Manitou Chamber of Commerce ran the nation's first ever Emma Crawford coffin race in 1995, 66 years after her coffin raced down Red Mountain. Here's what the races entail. Teams decorate a coffin of their choosing, <laughs> often aligning their costumes to fit that coffin's theme. Each team has four runners who push the coffin and one Emma who rests inside the coffin as the team races other coffins down the mountain to the finish line. Wow. So that is, that is the Emma Crawford coffin race. All right. Which I think is cool. Yeah, morbid and You know, fun. it's like, would she be happy about that? I hope so. It sucks. It sucks <laughs> that her bones were scattered all over the place yeah. when her coffin slid down the hill. But I think she's haunting that place now until all of oh, her I'm bones sure she are probably gone. is. There's, there's a story I, in there. Yeah, somewhere. I'm sure she is. Fun fact number five: in Logan County, it's illegal to kiss a sleeping woman. In Aspen, it's illegal to throw a snowball. I know. <laughs> That's, uh, wow, fun. probably have, a lot of law breaking. Have going fun enforcing on there. that one. The city of Sterling does not permit cats to run loose unless they have been outfitted with a special tail light. <laughs> a tail light, a tail like light. a light on know. their tail. Yeah, apparently. That also works as a tail light. Apparently, like if they were going to yep. back up or step on the brakes. Come and on in now. Boulder, Colorado, it is perfectly legal to taunt, ridicule, or challenge a police officer unless they ask you to stop. <laughs> so <laughs> that sucks for them. Wow. Yeah. Until they say stop. Exactly. <laughs> Do they just walk up to people and go stop? They should, because I mean, you're going to get so many people just. Be like, hey, you suck. When I smell bacon. people actually know about that? Oh, I know. Probably probably none. But like, I always like to look up the funky laws. Do they know you can't throw laws. snowballs in Aspen? I don't Probably know. not. Does anybody get cited for that? I you don't know. You know what weird laws we probably have here we're not oh, aware of? we probably you know? do. We probably we do. should look into that. <laughs> and fun fact number six. Although he wasn't born in Colorado, Henry John Deutschendorf Jr. was named Colorado's Poet Laureate in 1974. Who was he? I don't know. Henry John Duchendorf Jr. Okay. Should I know who that is? Yeah. Oh. John Denver. Oh, that's John Denver. That's John Denver's His real name. His last name is Duchendorf? Yes. How did I not that know That is John this? Denver. Uh, famous for Rocky Mountain High. Like, yep. Everybody knows the song Rocky Mountain High. They do. Uh, but there was a lot the of trouble. Roads. There was a lot of trouble with uh, Rocky Mountain High because numerous radio stations banned it when the mm-hmm. song came out. Mm-hmm. In 1985, John Denver testified before Congress in the Parents Music Resource Center, the PMRC, hearings about his experience. He said, and because people thought it was a drug reference, that Mm -hmm. it was about being high, like literally high. Mm -hmm. He said, quote, this was obviously done by people who had never seen or been to the Rocky Mountains and also had never experienced the elation, celebration of life, or the joy in living that one feels when he observes something as wondrous as the Perseid meteor shower on a moonless, cloudless night when there are so many stars that you have a shadow from the starlight and you are out camping with your friends, your best friends, and introducing them to one of nature's most spectacular light shows for the first time. So wholesome. I know, and that's what the song was about. You know, seeing the fire and the mm-hmm. lights dancing. Seen it yeah. fire in the sky. Yeah. So that's what that was about. And people turned it into something about drugs. Of course. So, and I, I just always remember, I think I talked about this in the in the um, Satanic Panic, the 80s Satanic, but it's just so weird to like watch footage of the PMRC of, of them testifying before Congress when it was John Denver, Frank Zappa, and Dee Schneider from Twisted Sister. <laughs> that's a motley crew. That is a motley crew. <laughs> You know, uh, those are three smart guys too. Like oh, Dee Schneider totally. is smart, and they, you know, he looks like such a goof with his right. makeup and and all that stuff. And and he did such a good job talking before them. You know, so yeah, 
On March 12, 2007, Colorado Senate passed a resolution to make John Denver's trademark 1972 hit, Rocky Mountain High, one of the state's two official state songs, sharing duties with its predecessor, Where the Columbines Grow. And I feel like Columbine now has such a, mm-hmm. a, negative a bad connotation, connotation well, which sucks. That, it does. You know, <laughs> but that is one of Colorado's state songs, Rocky Mountain High, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And younger people that really don't know the song probably recognize the song when it was used several times to foreshadow death in the 2000 (laughs) film Final Destination. Such a good movie. Which which it was, which revolves around the aftermath of an aviation accident because John Denver died in a plane crash. Mm -hmm. I liked Final Destination. I've seen them all, but me too. But that's the one that sticks with you. That, la- that so... last one had a twist at the end that I totally did not see coming, and in retrospect, I should have. I don't remember now. Uh, spoiler: If you haven't seen like the last Final Destination <laughs> Shame movie, on you if you haven't seen it. But you know, like they, the main couple or characters or whatever, avoid death throughout the whole mm-hmm. movie, and then at the end, they're they're going somewhere, so they're getting on a plane, and they're sitting on the plane talking. And all of a sudden, you hear people fighting on the plane, and then you realize that it's the people from the first movie mm. that it was actually <gasps> right, right, that was right. actually okay. it took place in the past because you automatically assume it's in the present. So right. then they were on the plane that crashed in the very first. It's very clever. That was super clever. I thought it, it's not often that a twist really impresses me, but that one did. Speaking of, just real quick. I know you don't have Netflix. I wish you did because these Fear Street movies are so good. I think Jana gave me... You should watch the Fear Street movies. There's three of them. People have been saying that those are really good. They are good. I think the third one came out today. So we're going to watch it Are you still watching The Boys? I took a break from it because I'm watching that Them on Prime, which is very disturbing because there's a lot of racism happening in that show, which is good. And you need to know that this stuff happened. But I think it's... I hope it's exaggerated because, oh my God. But it's, there's a paranormal twist to it that I haven't quite figured out yet. So it's really creepy and unsettling and disturbing. So them on Prime, if you if you have Amazon Prime. But the Fear Street movies on Netflix are really good. Uh, I might have to just watch those. And you watch Stranger Things, right? Yeah, yeah, but I didn't see the last season. Well, the girl with the red hair. I don't know anybody's oh, yeah. names. Okay, she's in the second about. Fear Street. And I guess the third. Everybody's in the third one, but she's in the second one. It takes place at like a 70s summer camp. It's really good. You need to watch Howard's Mill, too. Okay. That was I like might a, watch that, was, that tonight, too. It was a found footage slash fake documentary. Yeah. That documentary. If you go in not knowing what it's about, like it blew me away what it was about because when I first started watching it, I assumed it was like a true crime mockumentary. Okay. But don't tell me too much. I'm not going to tell you too much. Okay. I will say that one thing that kind of sucks is. They don't really have a good resolution. It just kind of leaves you thinking about it. But I will say that a lot of people that like I was reading like comments about from on Reddit from people that saw it. A lot of people said they surprisingly liked it a lot. And a lot of people tied it in with Missing 411. Ooh, interesting. So it was was good. I'm going to put my sweatshirt on. Okay. (laughs) All right. On to cryptids. Colorado cryptids. I actually went into this thinking I wasn't going to have enough, and I'm, I think I actually cut some stuff out, and after we record the episode, I might have to cut out one of the haunted places, because there's a lot to talk about there. We're so, 40 minutes in. Yeah. Okay. So cryptids, number five, had to throw it in there for Krista, Bigfoot. This comes from a BFRO. BFRO is Bigfoot Field Research Organization, I believe. BFRO report from Coneos County. I believe it's pronounced Coneos. K-O-N-E-J-O-S. So this person said, quote, I am currently on contract in Rifle, Colorado. My home is five and a half hours south of Rifle, so I stay in my camper five days a week. 
This morning, I left my home at 0200 hours as per usual. That's like 2 in the morning. I stopped at Buena Vista to fuel up and get a coffee. As I came through the little town of Twin Lakes, I was just feeling tired, and the more I drove, the sleepier I got. So before I started up Independence Pass, I thought I would pull over and get some fresh air. I had just noticed that it was 36 degrees on the truck temperature gauge and even took a picture of it on my phone to send it to my brother in Virginia. I pulled over to the left side of the road. As I got out of the truck, I noticed movement in the meadow directly in front of me. Not more than three or four miles below here, I had just seen a deer, so I was thinking that I had probably flushed out another deer. As I walked to the rear of my truck, I continued to look out in the meadow, and that is when I saw this thing move. At first I thought it was a bear, but it rose straight up, and that is when I knew it wasn't a bear. A bear's front legs hang in front of their belly when they stand. A bear's front legs hang in front of their belly when they stand. Like <laughs> okay, here? yeah. And these did not. The arms hung to the sides just like a person. Only if this was a person, he was really tall. It was furry and a deep brown or red in color. I was so frightened that I thought I would throw up. As I moved back towards my truck door, it tipped its head back strangely as if it was smelling the air. Oh, God. <laughs> like smelling him. Yeah. Or her. <laughs> I'm did assuming. Not, you didn't no, like no, that. No, no, no. Because, oh. You did not like that. That would be like a heart-stopping yes. moment. It hasn't seen me yet. Oh, crap. It smells me. <laughs> it's those weird head movements that throw yeah. me off. It's very animalistic. Yes. But in something that's also seemingly very human. When I, I opened know. the truck door, it turned, bent over, and picked something up and began to run on two legs nope. across the meadow away from me. Oh, wait. Okay. Not running like <laughs> sprinting, but running at a pace that he could probably continue for hours. Honestly, the thing that struck me the most about the way it picked it up, whatever it was, and carried it with both hands clasped in front of its torso... It was very human-like. By now, I was back in my truck, shaking and tearful. I live in my camper five days a week. I move from state park to state park, and I see wildlife daily. I just saw a black bear the other evening, and I know what they look like when they stand, how they grunt, and how they grumble. I know how they lumber and run. This was not a bear. It was like nothing I had ever seen. Oh, that no. would be a life-changing <laughs> experience. That would be a life-changing experience. I think I would be afraid. This is why I don't want to see one, really. I'd be afraid you're to fascinated ever go in the by woods them, but again. But you don't want to yeah. actually see one. Like, I could hear a hundred more stories like that because yep. I just love it, but yep. I don't want to experience it. Cryptid number four, Tommyknockers. Ooh. Also the name of a Stephen King book. Yes. A, a really weird Tommy book knockers. that he wrote when he was like really badly hooked on coke and oh. stuff he he said that that's the one book he regrets he says he doesn't think it's a good book i like the little poem yeah this is from an aspen times article from april 16th 2010 called beware of tommy knockers and an article on mixed so many of these cryptid like when i'm researching them there's so many radio station stories about cryptids which is weird i come across that all the time so that's from it's both from the aspen times article and from mix 1043 fm okay Quote, Tommyknockers, like the Irish equivalent leprechauns, are wee people who shared the underground with superstitious Cornish miners. The farther you go into a mine, the more likely you are to awaken a Tommyknocker. They take their fashion advice from miners by dressing the same, only as miniature versions. The nickname Knocker comes from the sounds these little creatures would make before a mine caved in. Tommyknockers are believed to knock on the mine walls as a warning to the miners. Some people believe that the Tommy knockers caused the cave-in, while others believe that the knocks led them to richness or were just good signs. So some people say they're either good or bad. They could either be. Could you the take ones... it as a warning too, like yeah, get out? Yeah, but hmm. some people say that they followed the knocks to oh. riches. Oh, you sure. Know. Okay. 
Miners hear eerie sounds working underground. Sounds made by the earth moving along fault lines, miners in distant tunnels setting off dynamite charges, and whirring machinery echoing off tunnel walls could all be attributed. I always say that word wrong. Attributed. (laughs) Could all be attributed to Tommyknockers. Sounds of dripping water, braying mules, and creaking mine cars were compounded by total darkness. Cornish miners believe that benevolent Tommyknockers beckon them towards finding fortunes. They believe that Tommyknockers warn them of impending disasters, especially cavens. Tommyknockers were the diminutive creatures knocking on the tunnel walls, signaling danger. If miners heard the knocking, they quickly left the mines before the caven. On the negative side, if you actually saw a Tommyknocker, you were probably going to (laughs) die. This unfortunate characteristic has never been proven wrong. No one has ever seen one and lived to tell the tale. Trickster Tommyknocker tales were told both in jest and in seriousness. Tools disappeared, items fell down shafts when dropped by deranged wee folk, they extinguished lamps and candles left by miners helpless in the dark, and committed other malevolent folklore. Well, that would be freaky. Yeah, that would be. Mines are, like, creepy to start with. Oh, yeah. From the website coloradohistory.com, Tommyknockers are invariably described as being about two feet tall, green, skinny with glowing red eyes, and they are serious pranksters. In some cases, the knockers were good, working alongside the men, doing odd chores, and even helping them with mining. However, all too often, the knockers were seen as a malicious and vengeful creature, so much so that the sound of their voices, the knocking of their hammers, or even their rare appearance struck fear into the hearts of the miners and would cause them to leave the mine and refuse to go back, causing the closing of that particular mine. This was the case in the Mamie R. Mine. The desire to become rich drove the less superstitious men to this mine, and it continued to run. The first real accident in that mine was the death of Hank Bull. Having heard what he insisted was the voice of a boy down a newly dug but yet unshored tunnel, Bull headed down the tunnel in search of the lost child despite the warnings of his friends. After several minutes, the men heard him scream, and as they rushed to the tunnel entrance, the ceiling collapsed on (sighs) Hank, killing him. The story of this event soon went around the area, and the men left that mine for less dangerous mines, leaving only a small crew to work it. Those who remained claimed to hear whispers and voices when no one was around, even on occasion seeing a strange shape move past them only to disappear when they looked for it. The new focus of mischief was the windlass that lifted men. Is it windlass? Windlass? Windlass. How is it spelled? Windlass. <laughs> oh, I would say windlass. Okay. I'm going to edit that out. The new focus of mischief was the windlass <laughs> that lifted men or in rocks from the mine. Attached to the windlass was a bell that was to be rung three times when a load was ready to come to the surface. Many times the bell would ring and the bucket would be pulled up only to be discovered it was empty. The second death in the mine was directly related to this windlass. In November 1894, the bucket fell and hit a man standing below it, crushing his skull and killing him instantly. This was not an uncommon mining accident, but in this case there was no reason that the bucket should have come loose. The knot was still tied tightly and the rope was still intact. Around this time, the spirit of Hank Bull, as he was found in death, was seen in the deepest parts of the mine walking around. The second dead miner often appeared in the bucket as the men wound it back up to the surface, his crushed head appearing over the top, and his ghost disappearing as he stepped out of the bucket. That's Mm, weird. weird. Christmas Day, 1894, was the final straw for the miners. On Christmas Eve, the mine had flooded, and the men spent Christmas Day hauling out buckets of water. Three men were working the windlass when suddenly... It didn't just break, but it flew apart, pieces flying everywhere, including the now loose rope as the bucket fell back into the mine. One of the operators became tangled in the rope, and as the bucket fell, the rope tightened so quickly around his neck that he was decapitated. 
This was enough for the miners. Firmly believing in the Tommyknockers by this point and believing that they were responsible for the deaths, the miners left and no one would work the mine. In January 1895, the mine closed for good. Some people believe Tommyknockers are still present in Colorado mines today. There have been multiple experiences of people hearing their names whispered in an empty mine in Idaho Springs. If you are hiking with children and come across an old mine tunnel entrance, listen for the Tommyknockers. You are bound to hear suggestions of their presence. Hmm. So those are Tommyknockers. Okay. We little miners. We little miners. <laughs> so it's been decades since I read Tommyknockers. Is that what it was about? That was like vaguely, but they never really got into why it was called the Tommyknockers because okay. there was nothing to do with mines. That's what I, I didn't think so either. But... Yeah, it was just weird. Okay. Cryptid number three, mini dinosaurs. Oh, well, that sounds fun. It <laughs> sounds cute. The cryptid wiki says, quote, River Dinos... Or dinos? Well, Dino is the name of the dinosaur. <laughs> the Flintstones. <laughs> the Flintstones. I think it's dinos. River dinos, also known as river lizards, mini rexes, prairie devils, and an assortment of other names, are reptilian cryptids from the American West with a high number of sightings in the Four Corners regions of Colorado. This dino is said to walk exclusively on its hind legs, to stand about three feet tall, and to have arm-like appendages instead of forelegs. Investigator Nick... It's actually really big. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Investigator Nick Susick, who first heard about the dinos from individuals involved in the shadowy animal trade, said of the creatures, quote, The reptile usually is seen near a wet environment and moves swiftly with grace. Every reference we've heard usually affiliates them with water. This is where the term river dino comes from. One pair of witnesses, a mother and daughter who had been driving through the Yellow Jacket area of Colorado in 2001, described it as having a long neck and skinny legs like a bird and looking like a cross between a bird and a dinosaur. However, it had no feathers, and its little arms seemed to extend from its upright neck rather than its body. Oh, that's weird. It's weird. You can see it looking like this. (laughs) (laughs) These women estimated that the creatures would measure about five feet if stretched from neck to tail. Prior to this, in early 1996, a Colorado, a Coloradan, a Colorado and a Colorado and is there an O? Yeah, a Coloradoan. A Coloradoan. Okay. It's just how it sounds weird. A Coloradoan woman from the Mesa Verde area saw what she described as quote not a lizard really about three and a half feet long and three and a half feet high. It moved very fast. As far as I remember, there were only two legs that seemed to balance it. This animal had a cone-shaped snout and a tail around two feet in length. The woman proceeded to consult with Jeff Thulin, an expert from the Reptile Reserve who had heard other similar reports. Thulin concluded from the description that he had heard, no match to any known species could be made, and that due to the local climate, no lizards could have lived through the winter. Hmm. It almost sounds, there are lizards that get up on their hind legs and run. I know. (laughs) Like (laughs) the little ones. Yeah. I don't know. I think these sound cute. A little mini. I do too. But I think they'd still be ferocious, even at like three feet tall. Well, we've seen Jurassic Park. That's true. <laughs> that's true. But apparently that's the one I come across in, in Colorado is okay. mini dinosaurs. Like, Crit- I think I'd freak out if I saw a three foot tall yeah. dinosaur. We call it mini, but that thing could probably still tear you apart. It would be cool if it was like, friendly, like a dog. Yeah. It came up its wagging arms. its tail <laughs> and his little arms <laughs> flailing around. <laughs> that's what we need the camera going is when you and I are I doing the little dinosaur arms. <laughs> Cryptid number two, not quite as cute, vampires. Wait, isn't this number like four? No, that's no, because five was Bigfoot, four was Tommy Knockers. Oh, you're going down. Yeah, Sorry. I always, I always I mix. Get confused I, by this. I need to, I need to like stick with one because sometimes I go up, sometimes I go down. <laughs> so I need to stick with a way that I do this. Is there like a 
when you get to one, it's like the best one, or there's no, no really there's no discernible. Re- the, okay. the, this number one I like just because it's it's funny. It's okay. like a funny story. Okay, so we're on number two. Number two, vampires, and this comes from the website outthercolorado.com. Hmm. Found at Lafayette, Lafayette. Wow, I'm having a hard time with words today. Lafayette, Lafayette. I'd say Lafayette, Lafayette Municipal Cemetery. There's a grave marker for a man named Fodor Glava from Transylvania that passed away in 1918 at the age of 27. That might not sound too spooky at first, but when you consider the many reports through the years of strange whispering lights, unusual plant growth around the grave, including the blood-red thorny rose bushes that are supposedly his long fingernails growing after his death, (laughs) and the fact that a tree has supposedly grown up from the stake that was driven through his heart, it leaves people wondering if he was a vampire. Couple that with an EVP that a local paranormal investigator claimed to have picked up during her visit, and you got a classic ghost story. Sure. The EVP that she claimed to have picked up says, supposedly, quote, do you want to see my steak? <laughs> so is that like a vampire pickup line? I don't You're know. Right. Would you like to see my steak? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that is what she said. I didn't hear. I didn't listen to the message, but that's what she said. She got, do you want to see my steak? The website dgomag.com says... The folks in Lafayette have been getting creeped out by the grave, and the kids, and perhaps adults, like to dare each other to stand near or touch the grave. Adding to the mystery are the reports that people have seen a tall, thin man with dark hair and long fingernails sitting on top of the gravestone dressed in a dark coat. That's creepy. I don't want really to see that. What's unfortunate is if this guy was just a normal dude. We'll get to people... that. <laughs> okay. We'll get to that. Even weirder is that the former Lafayette chief of police allegedly told people that he had found a doll with a pin stuck through its heart on top of the grave. Local rumor has it that townspeople dug up his coffin after a series of strange deaths in town, and they found his body to have still fresh blood around his mouth, and his fingernails were super long because they had kept growing. They supposedly pounded a stake through his heart and reburied him, and that the tree that grows on the grave is supposedly from that stake. But it's said that the stake didn't kill him and that he still rises from his grave and can be seen lurking around the cemetery at night. Hmm. So I don't understand if... If the tree if grows the, If the tree... Yeah. How is he up walking around if he's still in his... Unless it's a ghost. Unless he's walking around with a big tree protruding <laughs> out of his chest. That would be a sight. That would be a sight. <laughs> be hard to know. miss. I don't know. From the May 11th, 2010 posting on the Strange State blog. Psh, we should hmm. sue them. Right? Expect to hear 2011? from our lawyers. Expect to hear from our lawyers. That was way before we started. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was May 11th, 2010. That's even, that's even longer. <laughs> Maybe they're going to sue us. Never mind. We love your website, yeah, Strange State. Yeah, you're cool. You're cool. <laughs> the site says, quote, the tombstone lies among the indigent. What's indigent? The tombstone lies among the indigent graves. I think that means like. I don't know. Makes me think of indigenous, but I don't think that's the same thing. I'm gonna look that up. We want to sound learned, learned. Indigent means oh, poor. Oh, it's like the poor, like indigent. Like, yeah. Did I say, did I say it wrong? All about the emphasis. Okay. <laughs> On the wrong syllable. Well, whatever. In the poor, in the yes. poor, in the because wow. like in Manitowoc, we have the one that has like the. Poor people and like really? the insane from the insane asylum. Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, That's sad. So it was basically a cemetery for for like transients and and, sure. and poor that people. didn't have family. Yes, to pay for their. It okay. is said that a man was born in Transylvania and he rests disquietly below the cemetery, and that folks have been seeing unusual lights, hearing voices, and those who dare visit the site alone are attacked by an unseen force. Some have claimed to have seen spirits hovering around the grave. 
Those wary of whatever dwells below in the earth have been known to leave behind tokens meant to dissuade any evil forces, like voodoo dolls, salt, and rosaries. Truth be told, according to reports in the Lafayette leader, there are actually two men in the grave, both minors. Fodor Glava, aged 43, was born in Austria, and John Trandifer, aged 27, was in fact from Transylvania. Ostensibly, both men were brought to Colorado during the booming days of Rocky Mountain mining, but influenza struck down Glava and Trandifer... The other guy succumbed to pneumonia. (laughs) Since the men had no family on these shores, they were interred among the less fortunate. So they were just put into the same grave together. Like, there you go. However, the men were given one tombstone to share. Crudely etched into a wet cement slab was a scant epitaph for each. Several words were misspelled and information belonging to one man was mistakenly attributed to the other. Oh, come on. I'd be so, haunting those people too. Oh, just wait. We got worry. We got we got a worse one coming oh, in the future. Um, but yeah, so I don't think that there's a really a vampire there, but a lot of people have said that they've seen like a, a thin person it's probably one like of these walking, dudes walking. all angry about how they got <laughs> probably got laid to rest. Yeah, stuff misspelled. Right. Their names where they're from mixed up. <laughs> You know, when I die, do a better job. Yeah. Yeah. I want to stay strange. They're human beings. Stay strange on my my Staying strange forever and ever. Yes. (laughs) And cryptid number one. I love this one. This might be one of my all-time favorite cryptids. It is Colorado's famous Slide Rock Bolter. Yep. Okay. I've never heard of this. From the awesome cryptid wiki, it says, quote, The slide rock bolter is a bizarre whale-like creature recounted by the lumberjacks of North America during the 19th and early 20th centuries. It is believed to live in the mountains of Colorado, but this beast only lives on mountains where the slope is more than a 45-degree angle. It has an immense head with small eyes and a large mouth. It has a tail ending in a flipper like a dolphin with enormous grab hooks on it. So imagine a whale laying at the top of a mountain looking down the mountain with its back fin holding onto the mountaintop. Wow. All day long, this creature will just sit there and wait for a tourist or helpless creature to show up on the mountain below it. At the right moment, it lifts its tail, thus loosening its hold on the mountain, and it descends rapidly down the slope like a toboggan. With the beast's mouth wide open, it would swallow everything that got in its way. Whole parties of tourists are reported to have been gulped up in one scoop. Its body is said to be so large and strong that trees in its path are broken and destroyed, and that its own momentum carries it up the next mountain where it again slaps its tail over the ridge and waits. Are they just confusing (laughs) it with an avalanche? I think that's so cool. I like the idea that he opens its mouth and then slides down the hill. It's like he's skateboarding. Yeah, it's basically like he's skateboarding with his mouth open and eating everything that's in his way. That's funny. And... Also terrifying. William Thomas Cox's 1910 book titled, quote, Fearsome Critters of the Lumberwoods with a Few Desert and Mountain Beasts. That's quite the title. The book says, quote, This animal is a menace not only to tourists but to the woods as well. Many a draw through spruce-covered slopes has been laid low. The trees being knocked out by the roots or mowed off as by a scythe where the bolter has crashed down through from the peaks above. Again. Avalanche. A forest ranger whose district includes the rough county between Ophir Peaks and the Lizard Head conceived the bold idea of a decoy. A dummy tourist was rigged up with a plaid jacket, knee breeches, and a guidebook to Colorado. <laughs> it was placed on the mountain and then filled full of gunpowder and blasting caps and posted in a conspicuous place where, sure enough, the next day it attracted the attention of a bolter which had been hanging out for days on the slope of Lizard Head. The resulting explosion flattened half the buildings in Rico, which were never rebuilt, and the surrounding hills were f- the surrounding hills featured fattened flocks of buzzards eating the remains of the beast. 
That all just sounds made up. I'm yeah, sorry. Totally. I love I love the idea of the dummy tourist that has a guidebook to Colorado. It was just missing like a visor and a like, camera. <laughs> I know. I know. And a fanny pack. I, I love the slide rock boulder. He's like my favorite. It's delightful. You just see him zooming down the mountain eating everything in his way. But yeah, I, that's one of my favorite things is hmm. I love the fake, the decoy. A totally made up story. Yeah. Plaid jacket, knee breeches, and a guidebook to Colorado. The guidebook seals it for me. <laughs> it's got to be true. October 12, 2017 post on Wandering the Whale Road blog says, quote, Once the Bruneau Agreement was signed, American mining operations began in earnest. Rico was one of the towns that popped up and boomed in the 1880s, reaching a population of 5,000 in 1892. The very next year, however, Rico's fortunes turned when a silver panic hit the town. As the price of silver plummeted, most businesses closed, and by the end of the century, the population had dropped to 811. Rico's prosperity was gone as quickly as it had come. Where the mining declined, another industry immediately jumped in, lumber. The forests of southwestern Colorado were felled at first to support the mining industry, but by the time the mines were abandoned, the demand for timber for railroads was high enough that logging was profitable. The lumberjacks who worked here must have seen the strips of rubble on the mountainside that marked the spots of abandoned mines and connected them to Rico's dilapidated buildings, coming up with the story of the slide rock bolter to explain the ruination of both landscape and town. But like the mining before it, logging in southwestern Colorado suffered a bust as big as its boom. Deforestation was the main culprit. In 1914, the New Mexico Logging Company relocated further south because in one decade they had exhausted the timber supply. Lumberjacks most likely invented the slide rock bolter in response to the visible evidence of environmental damage left by the mining industry while unknowingly contributing to that devastation with their own activities. Hmm. So that's the slide rock bolter. I know it does, I'm sure it doesn't really exist, but I just think it's so cool. <laughs> I'm just, pretty sure it doesn't exist. I just, I just love the idea behind it. Yeah. That, that is one of my favorite cryptids that we've talked about. I feel if something that large and devastating yeah. exists, we'd all know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I love I love Slidey. Who comes up with this idea? These I don't ideas? know. I, I don't like know. it. Now onto hauntings slash weird places. This first one I might have to cut out depending on how much time we got. Okay. Number six is the Croak Patterson Mansion. According to the Colorado Encyclopedia website, quote. The Croak Patterson Campbell Mansion at 420 East 11th Avenue in Denver is one of the oldest still standing residences in the city. Thomas Bernard Croak was born in 1856 in Magnolia, Wisconsin. Ooh. He's a Wisconsin boy. Having taught school in Wisconsin, he moved to Denver in 1874 with several of his younger siblings. Opting not to teach in Denver, he took a job as a clerk in the carpet department of the Daniels and Fisher store downtown. In just a few years, Croak rose from clerk to manager of the store's carpet department and eventually opened his own store. Croak's carpet store earned him enough to build a mansion in Quality Hill. In December 1890, Croak got a permit to build a $18,000 brick and stone mansion. I wish there were $18,000 still. On the southwest corner of East 11th Avenue and Pennsylvania Street, that was going to be reminiscent of the, oh boy, Chateau de Zé-les-Rideau, a 16th sure. century French castle, complete with gables and turrets. Almost immediately after building his grand show place, and for reasons he never explained, Croak decided to sell it. He had only lived there for six months. After the death of his wife, Margaret Croak, in 1887, he had moved into the mansion with his two young children and his parents, but his mother also died shortly thereafter. Perhaps these two losses made the lavish home seem way too big for the rural Midwesterner. 
Preferring the ranch that he owned north of Denver, Croak traded the house to Thomas Patterson for an additional 1,400 acres of ranch land. Wow. 1,400 acres. That's a big ranch. That's a big ranch. That's a big ranch. The Patterson family then lived in the mansion for several years, and then in 1927, the building became home to the KFVR radio station. In 1930, it was converted into seven apartments and changed hands several times over the next two decades. In 1972, realtor Mary Ray fell in love with the old and crumbling house and refused to see it torn down. She bought the property and, keeping it as apartments, saved the building from demolition. In 2011, director and architect Brian Higgins bought the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion for $565,000, looking to convert the property into an upscale bed and breakfast. Higgins immediately began renovation work, which included repairing... Yo-oh. Which be- yeah, that's never a good sign. <laughs> Which included repairing the red sandstone exterior, replacing old electrical wiring and plumbing, and installing an elevator. Aware of the building's long and storied history, including rumors that it was haunted, Higgins directed and produced a documentary on the renovations called The Castle Project. During the renovations, Higgins and work crew reported seeing ghostly figures of children, hearing strange voices, and feeling unexplained changes in temperature. In 2011, Anne Alexander Leggett and her daughter Jordan published the book, quote, A Haunted History of Denver's Croke Patterson Mansion. In an article on the Westworld.com website, Anne discusses some of the things that are said to have happened in the building. She says, quote, uh, a woman that was pregnant stayed there. Okay. I, I believe it was oh, a woman. Oh, it wasn't there. her pregnancy then? No, it was, okay. it was a, like somebody that stayed there. Gotcha. In the late stages of her pregnancy, she was obviously pretty uncomfortable. One morning, she was just in bed and not feeling well and couldn't roll over, and an apparition appeared to her and offered her hand and actually helped her roll over in bed. The apparition told her, my name is Kate. Thomas Patterson's wife was named Kate, or Catherine, so that's one of the stories people don't know so much about. The same woman's husband had an office up on the third floor, and he had a desk in between these two little closets, and they had a couch on the right-hand side, and he always had his drawers locked. And she said you could sit on the couch and watch the drawers open and close and open and close, and then you would get up and check, and they would all be locked. Oh, that's weird. (laughs) That is weird. Hmm. When they had offices there, they couldn't keep tenants because typewriters would begin typing in the middle of the night by themselves, and there would be the sound of crying babies coming from the third floor. No. And on the third floor, there were party noises coming from a back closet. A back closet? <laughs> a closet. That's weird. The baby's crying. No. No. I'm just going to note know. that. <laughs> you don't want Nope. A ghostly image has often been seen sighted gliding up and down the main floor stairway. And Thomas Patterson, former owner of the home, is said to have been seen several times walking through the courtyard between the mansion and the carriage house. A guard dog that was brought in during rebuilding is reported to have jumped through the glass on the upper floor window and killed itself. And according to the MajankaVeraStraight.com website, quote, when they were renovating the house, equipment would go missing. Tasks that were completed the day before were come back and found to be undone. And the crew often heard voices when that no one... That would be annoying. Yeah, yeah, that would be. <laughs> and the crew would often hear voices when no one was around. When a seance was supposedly held to determine who was haunting the property, the spirit told them that it was the spirit of a young girl whose body was entombed in the cellar. When the basement was excavated, they did find a hidden chamber where the floor was covered with sea sand, but no remains of a little girl, even though, admittingly, a chamber covered with sea sand is pretty odd either way. Mm -hmm. That is weird. Like, what was in that room? Right. Like a hidden... There's something fishy going on there. Ew. Ew. The documentary (laughs) film The Castle Project was released in 2013, and the remodeled Patterson Inn opened that same year. We're going to add that to our driving across the country... 
like the Bam Bus. Do you ever, did you hear anything about this Bam Bus? Uh-uh. I think I just found it this morning. Bam I like bus. followed them now on. It's no. not Bang Bus. That's a completely different thing. It's Bam Bam Bus. Okay. Um, I follow them on like Instagram and on uh, TikTok now, but it was like the story that this guy was playing all these girls. He was dating six girls at once. Okay. And like this one girl figured this out and she got in contact and now three of these girls are like best friends <laughs> and they they bought like a school bus, an old school bus and they like, you know, repaired it and stuff and now mm-hmm. they're just driving around the country like nice. seeing sites that they want to see and you can like follow them and like people are giving them money through like Venmo and stuff wow. and it's just like, it's actually like a really sweet story. Like they seem like really cool girls. That's cool. Yeah. So, so I follow the hashtag van life. Because oh. it's all people living yep. in converted buses yeah. but and But you vans. might like this BAM bus thing, BAM but I, bus. it's just sweet that these three girls are like best friends now and are I'll driving around up. after this douche was playing six people at once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, where was I now? I totally forgot. The documentary film, The Castle Project, was released in 2013 and the remodeled Patterson Inn opened that same year. That's how I got on it. You, you and I need to travel the country and stay okay. at the Patterson Inn. Mm-hmm. The inn boasts refurbished hardwood trim, original stained glass windows, vintage telephones, restored chandeliers, and movie-themed rooms with modern flat panel televisions and a variety of unique furniture. Nightly rates begin at $169, a price that includes evening wine, hors d'oeuvres, and a gourmet breakfast. That sounds, that sounds pretty good. nice. It sounds pretty reasonable, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is the Croke Patterson Mansion. I like the party sounds coming from a closet. A closet. That's very like shiny. The party light. closet. It reminds yeah, me of the shiny for some shining. reason. Weird place number five, Riverside Road. This is again, we got this comes up every time we do one of these. This is supposedly one of the most haunted stretches of road in the world. Is there a school bus and a railroad track involved? <laughs> no, there isn't, okay. surprisingly. <laughs> one of the stories about this is that there is an iron gate near the ruins of a house. The locals call these gates the gates to hell. Sure. The story goes that the man who built this property and put the gates up went insane shortly after finishing it, and he burnt the mansion down with his family inside of it. Wow. To this day, people say that you can sometimes hear screams coming from the remains of the mansion, and that you can sometimes see a lady in white walking around near the gate, and it's believed that she is the man's wife looking for her children. Why are the women always wearing white? I don't know. I'm just curious. About I don't know that. if they're wearing white or like show up as like ghost white. Sure. Like ghosts always show up as white. I guess. Like, like their outfits are white? Like they glow. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. That's what I took that as. Maybe women just wore white a lot back I don't in the know. day. Maybe she's glowing. <laughs> I don't know. She has a nice, healthy glow to her. She does have a nice health for being, for being dead. Uh, it's also said that sometime decades ago, a jogger was hit and killed on this stretch of road, and sometimes when people are driving on it, the ghostly jogger taps on their car as it drives by. People who walk on the road report hearing the sounds of footsteps approaching behind them, and then they hear the heartbeat of the phantom jogger. That's creepy. That's very creepy. It's also said that decades ago, a young boy was walking on the road to school when he was struck by a car and killed, and since then, the boy's bloody handprints appear on the street signs along the road, vividly visible at night, but vanishing as the sun comes up. Also in the 70s, it's said that a teen was speeding down the road in his Camaro when he crashed his car and was killed. And today, drivers along the road have reported seeing a ghostly Camaro with one headlight that cruises up and down the road, seemingly wanting to race people down the road. We call that a padiddle. Yeah. Did you call it a padiddle? Yeah. Yep. Who came up with that I don't term? Know. My dad used to say padiddle. When it and you'd have to hit headlight. the roof of your car? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's a Wisconsin thing. It might just be Wisconsin. It was padiddle or, or what is that? What is that? No, that's a slug bug. I'm thinking. Of oh, slug that was bug. when you see a bug. Yeah, like a padiddle was one headlight, and then yep. yeah, 
weird yeah, this 70s ghostly camaro hmm. i guess i see matthew mcconaughey being like all right all right all right easy on the leather man <laughs> <laughs> be a lot cooler if you did <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of ghost that would be cool it's like a ghost oh, like, totally ghost of a 70s stoner pulling up alongside <laughs> you in a car other phenomena includes that on the night of full moon this is not quite as cheery on the night of full moons the bodies of hung slaves can be seen swaying in the trees yuck abandoned buildings along the road show signs of satanic rituals complete with headless animals being left by them Aww. and it's said that native american shapeshifters stalk the road Jeez. Yeah. This place is really haunted. Yeah. According this to one the one road is really haunted. According to the Only in Your State website, a ghost hunter named Stephanie Smith said, quote, The first time I investigated Riverdale Road was many years ago. It was my first lead investigation, and I went out on the road to spot good sites that I thought would work for all of our team and for some guest investigators. I was drawn to the one part of the road. It was daylight, but there was just something about this spot. As the team's psychic, I am often asked to locate hot spots of activity. That night we went to the location and I got out of my car and began walking down the road. It seemed pretty quiet. You could hear the oil drums beating in the fields in the distance, but other than that it was quiet. I decided to walk on the other side of the road for a while. As I was walking, I could see someone ahead of me. The first thing I remember was that they had on boots, but otherwise it was very shadowed. I have seen ghosts, and this one just seemed to be a person walking towards me. I tried to think rationally, but I just kept getting weirdly nervous, and then that turned to panic, and at some point in my walk I turned around and ran in the other direction. I ran and ran from the shadow with the boots, past my team, past the camera crew, past the cars until my head cleared. On camera, they caught a white ball of light zooming past me. After a few moments, I cleared my head and walked on the other side of the road. I felt fine, no trepidation at all. But every time I walked on the other side of the road, I would feel the same panicked feeling. This got me thinking, if this was some sort of imprinted event that I could only see and feel if I stepped in on it... So I began to get volunteers and have them do experiments. I told them nothing of my experiences, just had them walk down the road for as long as they could and then come back and tell us what they felt or saw. Some reported seeing a shadowy figure, others felt scared, some ran back to the car, some felt like they were being followed, and others just felt sick. We have captured video, EVPs, and photographs, but the most compelling is the sound of footsteps behind you as you walk along the dark road. I have never found any historical evidence to support this story, but I keep looking. There are too many people that feel the same thing. Hmm. So creepy. There's just so many stories of haunted roads. Yeah. You know, we have one near here, somewhere near here that has a, there's Boy Scout Lane. Boy Scout Lane, is that in Manitowoc? No. Boy Scout Lane is. But it's around here? Yeah, I think we talked about Boy Scout Lane and the haunted, or like the Wisconsin. Did we talk about Boy did Scout we? Lane? No, I don't think we did haunted. <laughs> we did like cryptids. We did. we did creatures. Yeah, we have an episode yep. that we have to do yet about yep. that. Okay. Number four, and again, I'm going down, I think. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I got to get better at I think you started at six, right? Yes. Okay. Number four is the Central City Masonic Cemetery. That's a lot of... S- That's a lot of sisses. So one of the stories about this cemetery is that when you are there, you will notice a little boy seeming to follow you around the cemetery from a distance. Well, that's creepy. If you try going up to him, he will run and hide behind a tombstone or a tree. And when you go there, he's nowhere to be found. (laughs) That's creepy. That's like like found footage horror movie creepy. (laughs) But most of the legends in the cemetery have to do with the woman in black. This is a woman in black, not in white. Okay. According to Teresa's Haunted History of the Tri-State blog, she says, quote, On November 1st, 1887, a local man named John Edward Cameron passed away after a brief illness. Paralysis of the heart was given as the official cause of death. Paralysis Paralysis of the heart? Paralysis of the heart. I guess his heart stopped. Okay. (laughs) 
Cameron had moved to the area with his family when he was just seven years old and grew up to be a loved and respected citizen, even serving with the town's fire and rescue squad. At the time of his death, at age 28, he was unmarried, but it was rumored that he had been courting a woman who lived near Bald Mountain. The town mourned his death, but a mysterious woman in black seemed to take his passing very hard. Every day from November 1st, 1887 to late June of 1888, a young woman would visit the grave. On one occasion, she planted a yellow flower on the grave. Suddenly, however, the visit stopped and the young woman wasn't seen for several years. But on November 1st, 1890, the young woman returned and laid a bouquet of blue columbines on John's grave before mysteriously gliding out of the cemetery. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> gliding is always creepy. So columbines are a flower? Yes. Mm, okay. This yearly vigil continued in the same manner until 1899, when a group of a dozen or so men, acting on the rumor that the young lady was actually a ghost, staked out the cemetery on November 1st in an effort to uncover the woman's identity. They were not disappointed. That evening, a woman came into the cemetery and laid her flowers upon John's grave. The men noted that she appeared to be very beautiful, but her mourning clothes were of an outdated fashion. They were so mesmerized that it wasn't until she exited the cemetery and started up the hill toward Bald Mountain that they decided to run after her. As they crested the hill, they found the woman nowhere in sight. Since then, it's said that the Lady in Black still walks the cemetery every November 1st, visiting the grave of John Cameron, who many believe was her suitor in life. She has also been seen roaming the cemetery on April 5th, following the same pattern of her November visits. After all these years, her identity is still unknown. Hmm. I couldn't find any, like, firsthand, really, accounts of people so going there. sort of like the urban it, legend. It's like the Poe toaster, the, like the person that would go to Edgar Allan Poe's grave mm, every oh, year sure. that people would, dozens and dozens of people there waiting to see the, the toe, toe poster, <laughs> the Poe toaster. The Toe poster. <laughs> to see the Poe toaster. You know, and that's kind of what this is like, but it sounds like this was a ghost. I don't okay. know. I was more intrigued by the boy yeah, the that gliding. would follow you oh, or the yeah, boy that, that would that's follow you. Number three, and this one I think is like fascinating and... You know what movie this makes me think of totally. Number three is, I think it's Cheeseman. C-H-E-E-S-M-A-N. Cheeseman Park. Sure. Cheeseman. Cheeseman. It sounds like a Wisconsin thing. Totally. Cheeseman Park. From the Haunted Rooms website, quote, Cheeseman Park is a gorgeous 80-acre park in downtown Denver. In 1858, General William Larimer arrived in what is now known as Denver and he claimed the land from the Arapaho Indians. Claimed the land. So uh -huh. took, took. It from, yeah, basically took it from them. Probably slaughtered a bunch in yep. the process. In November, the general designated 320 acres of land to be used as Mount Prospect Cemetery. It was his intention that the most influential residents of Denver would be buried on the crest of the hill, while criminals and the poor were to be buried at the edges of the cemetery. Ordinary middle-class people would be laid to rest in the space between. What happened, though, is because it was a rough mining town, the cemetery began to fill up with less than savory characters. One of the first people buried in the cemetery was a man named John Stoffel. He shot and killed his brother-in-law over what is believed to have been an argument about gold dust. Not the wrestler gold dust, but like legitimate gold dust. I've never heard of the wrestler gold <laughs> dust. <laughs> um, gold dust. Gold, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Stoffel, Stoffel? Stoffel was charged with murder and was publicly hung from a tree, after which his body and that of his brother-in-laws were crammed into a coffin together and buried at the edge of the cemetery. Isn't that a crazy idea <laughs> that people would actually go watch people oh, hung. be hanged? Yeah. Like, why would you want to do that? But I that? still feel like people still do that when they go witness executions. Why, why would... 
Anyone I mean, want to do that? But it was like a public thing where anyone could. Oh go. yeah, kids used to go. It was like a picnic. Are for the family. Yeah, of like people the used to bring their kids, and... and it was like a picnic. That's crazy. It is crazy, but <laughs> you know. How disturbing! I'd be traumatized for life. I know. Ugh. So yeah, Stoffel and his brother-in-law were crammed in a coffin together and buried at the edge of the cemetery. What's with burying people I together? Don't I don't know. As more and more ruffians and hooligans were... <laughs> not the worse than ruffians and hooligans. hooligans. As more ruffians and hooligans were buried there, the well-to-do people of Denver decided to be buried elsewhere, and Mount Prospect became a cemetery mostly for criminals and the poor. The cemetery became a huge eyesore, and everyone wanted to get rid of it, so on January 25th, 1890... Was it worth stealing it from the Indians? I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't know. On January 25th, 1890, Congress authorized the city to rename the area Congress Park. According to the website, quote, City Hall gave immediate notice that anyone who cared should make arrangements to remove the remains of their loved ones and have them reburied elsewhere within 90 days. Some were, in, uh, some, some were indeed reburied, but over 5,000 corpses were abandoned and unclaimed. Poltergeist. In eight, it's a movie I'm thinking of. In 1893, <laughs> the city made arrangements with a local undertaker of ill repute to remove the corpses and rebury them in Riverside Cemetery. The deal was not well paid, and the work was sloppy. The caskets were only 3.5 feet by 1 foot. What? And anyone not decomposed enough to fit into the small boxes were broken up and forced oh, in. Oh, my God. One local woman <laughs> apparently warned the workers to utter a prayer over each body on earth or else the dead may return, but they laughed in her face and sent her away. Wow. There were rumors that some of the workmen even stooped so low as to loot the coffins and stole the brass nameplates. And gold teeth and like teeth. <laughs> so soon stories of corruption surfaced. It was noticed that the number of actual reburials taking place and being charged to the city did not tally up with the number of boxes actually, the boxes of remains being actually delivered to Riverside Cemetery. An investigation was launched and the result was that the removal of the bodies was never completed. The holes were filled in and the bodies are still there under the park surface, which was completed in 1907. So, I know... Website so many says, wrong with the this. website says, Today the spirits have not managed to find rest. There are frequent reports from visitors and the nearby residents of paranormal activity in Cheeseman Park, both in the daylight hours and after dark. Many visitors to the park have described feeling inexplicably sad or feeling unexplained dread, which seems totally out of place considering the park is meant to be a fun place for the whole family. Other visitors say that they have heard the sounds of hundreds of whispering voices and moans echoing around the park. Chris <laughs> is shaking her head. No. Similar to what residents reported hearing at the time of the graves being exhumed. One of the common sightings of a ghost in Cheeseman Park involves the spirits of little children who are often seen playing in various areas of park in the dead of the night. However, they will disappear when people get too close. This also happens with a female spirit who frequents the park. Witnesses have seen her singing to herself as she wanders in the park, but she vanishes suddenly when people get close. There have also been various sightings of strange mists and shadowy figures among the trees, and sometimes the outline of old headstones can be seen in the moonlight. One of the strangest phenomena that has been reported is that many visitors to the park experience an odd sensation if they lie down on the grass. They say that after lying down for a short time, they feel as if they are unable to stand up, as though some force is pulling them down from inside the earth. (laughs) <laughs> no. Chris is noping all nope. over this one. Nope. The residents who live in the homes that border the park also say they experience strange occurrences in their homes, ranging from shadowy figures and poltergeist activity to the confused wandering spirits that were reported by the residents back in the 1890s when the bodies were exhumed. And it's totally poltergeist. It totally is. It is totally poltergeist. 
but is there yeah, a swimming that's pool just, that's under like, I just can't wrap my mind around telling people you got 90 days to get your loved one's days. remains out. That's crazy. Like a three and a half foot coffin and then they shove the, if they were bodies weren't decomposed enough they'd to break get them in there, apart. they would break them apart. Oh my gosh. And then they're finally, they're just like, ah, hell with it. And they just put the park up over all Why the... Why is this place so haunted? Uh, I know. That's just, <laughs> that's just Talk about nuts. a dumpster fire. I think that's one of the craziest places we've talked yeah. about. <laughs> one of the craziest. Now I know history. what you were talking about before when I was like. About the bury, yeah. bury about cemeteries and stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Maybe two in a coffin isn't as bad as <laughs> no getting all busted up and then thrown in a little coffin. They got a coffin. coffin. <laughs> At least they got to be laid to rest together, I guess. Hmm. No good. Number two, of course, knowing we were talking about Colorado, you knew we had to talk about this place. Stanley Hotel. Stanley Hotel. The Stanley Hotel was built in the early 1900s by F.O. Stanley, creator of the Stanley Steam Engine. A That's steam... a bucket list for me, for sure. Yeah. A, a st- yeah, and I was never really into it until I like looked at pictures of it and stuff. It looks beautiful it's gorgeous, there. Yeah. I know we have listeners that have stayed there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, The hotel opened in 1909, and it was pretty opulent, catering mostly to the rich and the famous. Guests have included the unsinkable Molly Brown, John Philip Sousa, Theodore Roosevelt, the Emperor and Empress of Japan, and tons of actors and actresses. And one writer mm-hmm. that we will get to. <laughs> famous writer. Yep. And actually one of the guys from Hellier, I can't think of his name. He was like a resident really? investigator there for, I oh, think, Being years. a resident investigator there would <laughs> right? be a dream job. According to the Legends of America website... In addition to its regular guests, the hotel is also said to play host to a number of otherworldly visitors. The most notable is F.O. Stanley himself, who is most often seen in the lobby in the billiard room, which was his favorite room when he was alive. On one occasion, he was said to have appeared during a tour group's visit to the billiards room, materializing behind a member of the tour. That's weird. Bartenders at the old hotel also report having seen F.O. stroll through the bar, disappearing when they try to cut him off at the kitchen. Not to be left out, Stanley's wife Flora also haunts the hotel, continuing to entertain guests with her piano playing in the ballroom. Employees and guests have reported hearing music coming from the room, and when they take a peek in there, they can see the piano keys moving. However, as soon as someone walks across the room to investigate further, the music stops and no more movement can be seen upon the keys of the piano. Hmm. According to an article on TripSavvy.com called, quote, The Seven Most Haunted Spots in the Stanley Hotel, a few areas around the hotel are known to be super active. One of them is the Grand Staircase, where ghostly figures are sometimes seen walking up and down the stairs. In 2016, someone staying at the hotel took a photo of the staircase when there was supposedly nobody on it, and in the photo you can see what looks like a woman wearing an old-timey dress. I should look that up. Is it white? I don't know if it's white or not. (laughs) Room 428, this is where Krista wants to stay. Room 428 is supposedly very active including furniture that moves around on its own, and it's said that there is the ghost of a cowboy seen in the room that stands at the edge of the bed watching visitors as they sleep, and he's sometimes been known to kiss the ladies. <laughs> Doesn't he know it's illegal to kiss sleeping <laughs> I ladies? Don't know if it's there. I don't know if it's there. Kiss a sleeping woman? Ghostly cowboy's not super scary to me. Isn't that basically a hat man? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> now it's scary. Now it's scary again. According to the Real Unexplained Mysteries site, Most of the ghosts in the Stanley Hotel seem to congregate in room 418. Staff that work at the hotel believe that this room is by far one of the most haunted locations in the building. On numerous occasions, guests in this room have been awoken by the sound of children playing outside the room door. When they get out of bed to shout at the kids in the hallway, they find nobody there. 
On other occasions, the occupants of the room have heard children crying throughout the night in the rooms on either side of them. When they complained about the children the next morning, they were told that there were no kids currently staying at the hotel. More disturbingly, the beds in room 418 often give off the impression that someone is sleeping on them. There are deep body-shaped impressions laid into the mattress as if an invisible being is laying there. Creepy. The ghosts of the Stanley Hotel are very frequent visitors, and it is widely known as a popular paranormal location. Visitors are constantly witnessing unseen hands yanking at their clothing and disembodied voices. There are many complaints throughout the year from visitors who have woken to find their blankets taken off of them and folded neatly at the end of the bed. (laughs) I mean, it's scary and also very polite. I wish I I had that kind of ghost in my apartment that would like (laughs) clean stuff up for me. That's something that, that... I don't want to be in bed and have something happen to no. me. It's such a vulnerable <laughs> yeah. position to be in. Like you said, like you hate the thought of like, and then feeling something like pulling the blanket yeah. off of you. It reminds me of Paranormal Activity. Those yeah. Movies. Oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, the concert hall is also known to be really haunted. A man named Paul worked at the Stanley from 1995 to 2005 and died of a heart attack while en route from the hotel to the hospital after suffering chest pains. Known as a jack-of-all-trades, one of Paul's responsibilities was to enforce the hotel's 11 p.m. curfew. It's not uncommon these days to hear a faint and ominous get-out in the hours after 11 o'clock, although it's unclear if he'd be so bold as to shush the hotel founder, Flora Stanley, who can often be heard playing the piano some seven decades after her demise. Hmm. A construction worker sanding the floor just a few years ago believed Paul was brazen enough to physically nudge him to the door after feeling two arms pull him back. Paul is also known to flicker the flashlights of touring groups. And now we get to the most famous room, which is room 217. This is the most famous room in the entire hotel, and for good reason. There was a maid named Elizabeth Wilson who was lighting the gas lamps in the room many years back, but room 217 had a gas leak that blew the room apart and flung her body a story down. She did survive with a few broken bones and continued to work at the hotel for a few more years, but for some reason she chose to stick around here after her death. Elizabeth still keeps to her housekeeping routine as people return to the room to find their luggage unpacked, shoes being lined up, hear disembodied voices, and shadows seeming to pass through the walls. Actor Jim Carrey also stayed in room 217. It's believed he had an experience that was so frightening he demanded another room away from the Stanley Hotel. Interestingly, Jim Carrey refuses to talk about what happened that night. Hmm. There have also been reports by unmarried couples claiming that a ghostly woman goes in their bed and lays between them. (laughs) That's a prude. What a prude. Right? <laughs> Maybe she's kinky. Uh, eh, could be too. You're going the other way. I was going one way, you were going the other way. And of course, famously, Stephen King and his wife stayed at the hotel in 1974, staying in room 217, arriving in the fall just before the Stanley closed for the winter. Tabitha. I love that name. They booked the room pretty easily, considering they were the only guest in the hotel. King wandered around the eerily empty hotel as staff prepared it for closure. That night, Stephen King says, he had a terrifying dream where his young son was being chased through the hotel hallways by a malicious animated fire hose. He woke up in a sweat and went to smoke a cigarette. As King tells it, by the end of the cigarette, the structure of The Shining had already been built within his mind, inspired by the haunting emptiness of the Stanley Hotel. So there you go. Like, I love the book The Shining and I love the movie but they are two completely different yeah, beasts. They are very different. Uh I love, you know, I know there's been remakes of The Shining and stuff but I the one one of Stephen King's scenes from a book that always like sticks in my memory is where 
Danny in the book, not in the movie. In the book, he's outside and they have the topiary animals. Topiary? Topiary. Topiary animals. <laughs> like the, the bushes like shaped like animals. Mm-hmm. And he's out playing and every time he looks back up at them, they've moved and they're like looking at him. You know, and that, that scene has always stayed with me mm. for some reason. And that, that wasn't in, I think they did it in the later remake, the television remake of The Shining, but it's never going to be as no. creepy looking in, on as TV in your as mind. it is in your mind. Yeah. But the scene with the topiary animals always like stuck with me from the book. The, the Kubrick's movie is like a masterpiece, but it's it's so different. I heard Stephen King didn't like it. No, Stephen King did not like it. He liked the TV version better. Yeah, because he did the TV version. Yeah. But The Shining movie... Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. The Shining movie is a completely different beast. Mm-hmm. It's just as good. It is perfection. You know, when I watched that, I think it's called Room 237. Because in in the movie, they change it to Room 237. Mm. And in the, in the actual spooky room at the hotel was 217 probably so everybody doesn't try to rent that room. <laughs> it could be but they think kubrick changed it there's a there's a documentary called room 237 oh really have you ever seen that no it goes into all the stuff about that how, would be cool to watch yeah but it goes into all the weird stuff about how the movie was kubrick admitting that he was the one that filmed the faked moon landing oh yeah like there's a scene where danny has this Sweat, uh, like a sweater on with the Apollo yeah. spacecraft on mm-hmm. it and it goes into all this stuff and there's a lot of weird stuff about the movie there's like there's like theories that the movie is about us taking the land from the Indians there's there's <laughs> really? yeah there's I'm trying to think of themes in the movie that are just there's hint weird at ones like like I don't it, see the connection when he's locked in the pantry yeah. They have like the cornstarch. It has like the Indian logo like behind him. Really? Yeah, but there's there's like weird That's very subtle. There's weird theories about the movie. There there's all this stuff about how places in the movie can exist. Like when you when he's talking to the hotel owner at the beginning, there's a window behind him. Oh. But then based on stuff that happens in the movie, there shouldn't be a window there. And it's there's there's like really weird mm. stuff in the movie. Okay. Yeah. You know there's a lot of people that talk about the scene where I think it's his wife was looking down the hallway and there was that thing dressed like a dog or a bear that was obviously doing something inappropriate. I can't say it. I can't oh, say it on yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they yeah. both look up and look out the door. Yeah. And there's a lot of people fascinated with that scene because mm-hmm. that's like, a, where did that come from? Right. It and it was little... something in the book. Okay. But yeah, there, I think it's called Room 237. It, it was a documentary all about that movie and about the weird theories. It's a great movie though. But yeah, that's where Stephen King got the idea for The Shining was staying at the Stanley. And then Ghost Hunters have been there. They did their, I think, live investigation there. Mm. Uh, It's just, and there's like caverns underneath. So the place is just like massive. Massive. And I I would love to stay there. Yeah. I think, did Stephanie? I know some of our listeners have stayed there. Okay. So if you guys have, let us know how it was. Was it weird? Was it scary? Was it just cool? I don't know, because I th- I feel like when I watched it on Ghost Hunters, one of them was staying in the room where like the closet supposedly kept opening or, or stuff like that, or their shoes. Now Something that you like say that, I, I, I think I did watch that. That was a long time ago, right? We're going to add that to our Strange Sessions cross-country bucket, bucket yeah. list. When we steal that mystery machine. Yes. Uh, mobile home. Mobile home? Camper? RV. RV. <laughs> RV. Oh so that is number two. That is number two. Surprisingly, it wasn't number one for Colorado. This is where I went by what I like think is interesting. Okay. 
So that leaves us with number one, which is pretty much the entire town of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Okay. The town started out as a gold mining town, but it's... Is that a song? It might be. Upon Cripple Creek. Creek, yes it is. (laughs) The town started out as a gold mining town, but as claims dried up, people took the wood and stuff from their buildings and moved them completely elsewhere. (laughs) Just take your building down and go somewhere else. But a few people stayed behind and stuck it out in the town. In 1991, the town got a little boost when gambling was legalized and some of the town's buildings were converted to casinos, but this is still like the quintessential little Colorado mining town. Like I can picture like one main street, buildings on the side. Mm -hmm. and Most of this comes from the Legends of America website. The first place we'll look at there is the Colorado Grand Casino. This place is said to be haunted by a ghost known as Maggie. The site says, quote, Usually appearing on the top two floors of the building, the sound of her high-heeled shoes can often be heard echoing down the halls. Described as about 25 years old and dressed in turn-of-the-century clothing, she wears a white shirtwaist, a long cotton skirt, and high-heeled boots. She sounds cute. The young beauty with her hair piled atop her head is known to leave behind the scent of her rose perfume even when she isn't spotted. Some have reported that singing and dancing is sometimes heard emanating from the old ballroom, as well as the sound of Maggie's lilting soprano voice heard singing an Irish-accented concertina. At the casino, security guards have often reported seeing Maggie, along with a gentleman friend playing the slot machines after hours. She has also been caught on tape by the security cameras. However, after being viewed and then stowed away, the tapes mysteriously disappeared. Hmm. So Convenient. The next place is the Hotel St. Nicholas that overlooks Cripple Creek. It was originally built as a hospital, but later it became a school and the home for the nuns of the Sisters of Mercy. (laughs) Sisters of Mercy sounds like a biker gang or something. (laughs) The Sisters of Mercy. It eventually reopened to include a wing for the mentally ill. So you got a school, you got the kids, you got the nuns, and you got a mentally ill. So you know that place is going to have some kind of activity. Probably a bunch of people buried in the back too. Probably. But it closed in the mid-1970s. In 1995, it was reopened as a 15-room inn. According to the website, quote, Guests and staff have reportedly seen the ghosts of nuns, children, and former patients of the mental ward, but the most often seen ghostly resident is a ghost known as Stinky. sucks to be known as Stinky the ghost after you die. Lurking at the back staircase of the old hospital, Stinky makes his presence known with a sewage-like smell. The apparition of an old miner with no upper body is also sometimes seen. Another ghost, that of a little boy affectionately known as Petey, has been seen throughout the hotel, but is most often responsible for stealing cigarettes and moving items around the tavern. (laughs) Mischievous little guy. Petey and Stinky. The next place is Buffalo Billy's Casino. During the mining days, this was an exclusive men's club. I don't know. Like, we don't really have men's clubs anymore. It wasn't like a brothel. I don't think it was like a brothel. I think it was just like where guys could go to get away from their wives. And smoke cigars or something. And smoke cigars and play poker and whatnot. Drink single malt liquors. (laughs) Exactly. According to the website, for reasons unknown, a six-year-old spirit of a young girl took up residence in the building and has remained there ever since. Known as Lily, the friendly little girl has sometimes been seen sitting on the stairs cradling a rag doll in her arms. Looking incredibly real, an employee once asked her if she was lost, to which Lily replied, quote, No, I'm not lost. I live here. When the employee left to get a security guard, the pair returned to find the little girl gone. On another occasion, when a tourist was playing the slot machines, she lost track of her daughter. When she began to search, she found her daughter perched on the staircase. 
Asking her daughter what she was doing, the young girl said she was playing with Lily. Lily evidently has an artistic side as her drawings, numbers, and letters are often found in the hallway at the top of the staircase. Although the walls are scrubbed down, the drawings always reappear. According to the tales, Lily is also said to like balloons, but only in certain colors. For example, if a blue balloon is left for her, it will pop. However, if a purple balloon is left for her, it will begin to wander around the building on its own. Lily sounds cute. Others have seen a little girl peering down from an upstairs window to the streets below. The next building is the Imperial Hotel. It was built in 1896, and in the early 1900s, it was run by a George Long. George married his first cousin. Oh, that's a no no. <laughs> George married his first cousin, and they had a son and two daughters. I think that was like really common back in yeah. the day, though. The oldest daughter, Alice, was born with a severe mental disorder. Probably because your mom and dad are cousins. First cousins. As Alice became older, she became harder to control, and they kept her locked in their apartment. A few years later, George was going down the stairway to the basement when he fell to his death. It's not known how it happened, but rumors say that Alice got out of the apartment and wanted revenge on her dad for keeping her locked up. It's said she snuck up behind him and hit him on the head with a cast iron skillet at the top of the stairs. From the website, quote, The historic hotel is said to be haunted today by its former owner, George Long, who allegedly likes to flirt with the ladies and play the slot machines. Several nighttime security guards tell stories of how the ding-ding-ding of the slot machines and coins hitting the hopper are heard late at night after the casino has closed. However, when they check the casino floor, no one is there. Later, when the machines are checked for malfunction, none are found. Guests, especially women, have often felt something or someone touching them during the night. Another tale alleges that a chambermaid reports having her bottom pinched by an unseen hand. In the hotel's historic Gold Bar Theater, actors tell of feeling the presence of someone when in the dressing rooms touching their back. Evidently, the daughter Alice has also left her imprint on the historic hotel. If the staff leaves the door to what was once the Long's apartment closed, they sometimes hear the sound of scratching fingernails on the other side of the door. (laughs) That's creepy. Yeah, that's no. That's a no. Chris doesn't open that one. The next building is the Palace Hotel. By the turn, this this city sounds like super Yeah, haunted. I mean, maybe that should be our stop. Yeah. The next building is the Palace Hotel. By the turn of the century, the hotel was owned by Dr. Chambers and his wife, Kitty. Taking care... You don't hear a lot of kitties anymore. Uh-uh. Taking care of his patients, the hotel was run by his wife, affectionately known by the guests as Miss Kitty. Priding herself on her service, she offered a number of amenities to her guests, including placing lighted candles throughout the hotel and turning down their beds at night. When Miss Kitty died in 1908 in room number three of the hotel, she evidently wasn't ready to leave, as stories have it that she continues to live there. Hmm. Over the years, guests have told stories of how she continued to provide great service by making sure that the candles were lit and sometimes turning down their beds. Others have reported seeing a vision of Miss Kitty dressed in old-fashioned white nightgown with her long hair down over her shoulders. I feel like there are a lot of really polite yes. ghosts yeah. in Colorado. Yep. Other people report seeing the same ghostly figure in the window of room number three overlooking the street below. Miss Kitty is not the only ghost said to lurk within these historic confines, as some suggest other spirits continue to roam the old hotel, including a short fat man, a tall woman, and a blind piano player. Reports include feelings of being watched, people who feel a gentle nudge as they walk up and down the stairs, crashing noises and footsteps in a hall when no one is there, and strange anomalies appearing in photographs. The building was then bought out by Womax Casino, which I believe it's Womax Casino now, or maybe not. This is a reader's story from the website. 
My wife and I were at Womax Casino overnight on April 3rd, 2008, celebrating our anniversary in room 101. At approximately 1.30 a.m., I awoke to hear a scratching sort of sound coming from our overnight bag. Remembering that I had some beef jerky in the bag, I figured a mouse may have found its way into the bag. I got up and noticed that the bag was touching the bottom of a chair that was in the room. As I leaned on the chair and reached down to grab the bag, I found that the scratching sound was actually coming from the chair itself. The chair was made of a stiff leather or type of wicker. I checked the bag and found nothing wrong with it, no mouse or anything that would make a noise. I moved the bag away from the chair and then did not hear the sound anymore. I fell back asleep and at around 3.15 a.m. I was in a dreamlike state, I think, because I was laying on my left side facing my wife. And in this dreaming state, I was trying to move my right arm so as to hold my wife, but something was holding my right shoulder back. I must have awakened while struggling to move my right shoulder and suddenly I awoke. My shoulder was released. I laid there awake for a few minutes, afraid to move and listening for anything. I turned the television on and watched for an hour or so before drifting in and out of sleep. Then I heard scratching on the sheet behind me. Needless to say, I was wide awake again and all of a sudden the sheet behind me was pulled tight and bounced back with a slight popping sound. I sat straight up, looked around and saw nothing. That was the end of me trying to sleep. I said a prayer while remembering my father always saying that a ghost cannot physically harm you, just scare you if you let them. I did not hear or experience anything else the next few hours, but woke my wife up early and told her what I experienced. She is a very heavy sleeper and recalled nothing. We checked out by 8.30 a.m. and have not been back since. So, Yeah, I think maybe uh, (laughs) I wouldn't want to return either. Unless I went there to do an investigation. Exactly. That's different. And the last one is the Victor Hotel. The first Victor Hotel was built in early 1894 by the Woods Brothers just in time to accommodate travelers traveling on the newly completed Florence and Cripple Creek Railroad. However, when a devastating fire swept through Victor in August 1899, the wooden building succumbed to the flames that spread quickly and destroyed the entire town in just five hours. The building was rebuilt this time with brick and stone. One distinctive feature of the hotel was its elevator, which came in handy for yet another function that the building took on. During the winters, when the ground was frozen between October and June, it was impossible to dig graves for those that died in the quickly growing city. As an alternative, the bodies were taken up the elevator and stored on the fourth floor of the building until the ground thawed enough to bury them. It is apparently many of these long-dead residents that haunt the historic hotel today. Though seemingly harmless, several people have witnessed the sight of disembodied apparitions on the fourth floor. Reports include what looks like both doctors and patients, sometimes without arms, legs, or even heads, moving around this place that once acted as a holding cell for the dead. There are other haunted areas in the hotel, including the basement, the elevator, the third floor, and the kitchen. Throughout the hotel, guests often tell of seeing misty forms and hearing footsteps, sometimes accompanied by the sudden rush of cold air. In the kitchen, employees tell of utensils that are suddenly thrown across the room. But the most prevalent ghost is that of a man named Eddie, who allegedly fell down the elevator shaft years ago. Staying in room 301 at the time of his death, Eddie has often been seen in the room, in the hallways, and in the elevator. Guests who stay in room 301 also report hearing footsteps and other strange sounds that cannot be explained. Though the elevator is regularly inspected and maintained, it often tends to activate itself going up and down the shaft when no one is near it at night. Always stopping on the third floor, the elevator's ghostly activity usually occurs around 3 o'clock a.m. Of course. So that is the town of Cripple Creek. Wow. They have a ton of ghosts there, it sounds like. I'll say. So there you go, Colorado. I'm going to end this with a, I'm going to have to censor a little bit, but a quote from John Fante, John Fant. I I believe he was a, a screenwriter or a poet. Okay. 
He says, quote, so F you, Los Angeles, <laughs> F your palm trees and your high-assed women and your fancy streets, for I am going home, back to Colorado, back to the best damn town in the USA, Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, keep your high-assed women. <laughs> keep your high-assed women. <laughs> so there you go. That's there is great. Colorado. Wow. Who knew? Who knew? I want to go there. I want to see the slide rock bolter going up and down the mountains. So who did we have a listener from Colorado that I think we have, yes. You? I don't remember who it was, but somebody does live in Colorado and, and wanted us to do... And like I said, I didn't think there would be a lot. I knew the Stanley was there, so you knew Stanley. But yeah. there's a lot of stuff. Wow. Yeah. Like I, I, Colorado was one of those states that I just always wanted to visit. Mm-hmm. Me too. But something freaks me out about like reports of people that go there and have a hard time breathing and stuff. Oh, like when the they elevation. live in, like go to Denver and stuff because of yeah. the elevation. That freaks me out for some reason. But you know, like I just love Colorado. I have a lot of friends that. I have friends right now that live there yeah. and stuff. So I just love Colorado. Yeah, I would love to visit. I've never seen mountains like that. No. I mean, I've flown over the mountains. Yeah. I've been to I've Vegas where the you Rockies. can see them in yeah. the different when distance. I, when I flew but... out to Arizona, I went over the Rockies. But and... I've never seen no. mountains like up close like that. I would love that. But I wish when I was younger, I would have done a road trip that way. Mm. So let us know. If you live in Colorado, let us know any experiences you've had. Yeah. And if you've been to the Stanley, I want to Yeah, if you've been that. to the Stanley, let us know. Cool. So there you go. Sweet. Questions? No, I have no questions for you. <laughs> um, do you not want me to do a joke? T- no, let's do a song. So- let's maybe skip the question. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I just thought of my song like 10 minutes ago. So. Did you really? Yeah. Because I forgot until like, I've been thinking about it all week and I never settled on anything. Let me see. Maybe there's a super quick question. I'm going to have Colorado Rocky Mountain High. I had <laughs> like a whole day. Okay. I could have read a joke and <laughs> I could have read you many ready? jokes. Yes. This first one is just a comment. It's not a question. But okay. this person, Anonymous, said, I have to say that it took me a couple of podcasts to really appreciate your style, but now you are the first podcast I look for every week. Thanks for bringing yes. everything you do to the table. Very entertaining. Thanks a bunch. We are an acquired Thank taste. you. Thank you, listener. Uh, Glad you stuck around. Here's a really easy one. I don't remember. I think we did this one. What's your favorite flavor cake? Did we do that one? Yeah, because I said chocolate. Yes, and I said like angel for the confetti. Yep. Uh, chocolate do you believe in reincarnation and if you do who or what do you think you were in a past life i'll go first i don't know i I don't believe in reincarnation even though there's so many we did we did our episodes about reincarnation and there's so many weird stories i don't i'm on the fence but if i do and this sounds weird saying it but i think i was a girl in my past life because Mm -hmm. i'm very girly with stuff you know what I mean? Like, yeah, your not, love of Little Mermaid. <laughs> well, no, not, but I'm like very, I feel like I'm very feminine minded. Sure. You know, I've I had know so many mean. of my female friends tell me that I'm more. Like, you're more sensitive I, and emotional. Yeah, but I'm more like, fe- I'm more like female minded. I'm more in female, I'm more female minded than I am like a typical male. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So if that, if it is true, I feel like I was a girl in my past life. What was I? I? Okay, so I'm on the fence because I feel like there are just stories that are so hard to discount. Um, discount. There yeah. I like the idea of past lives too. Yeah. Like you've you've lived a completely different life in another I do too, time. But I just can't. I just can't bring myself to agree with it. And I also feel like I don't belong in this era. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm have much more of an old soul. I prefer. Yeah. I would prefer to live in simpler times. I don't know. What was I, though? That I don't know if I could answer that. I was probably a scullery maid. <laughs> scullery maid. <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't know. I can't really say what I what I think I might have been. I've never really. I have to think about, about that. that more. That's yeah. a, that's a good question. But no, I kind of just don't buy it. I have a hard time with reincarnation. I don't know why, but I just do. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Good questions. Yeah. Um, song choice. Song choice. Our category this week was a song with one word title. Mm-hmm. And you want to go first or should I? You can. Okay. I, I had a hard time with this one because there's a lot there's of songs. There's so many. There's, there are a lot of songs, but I'm going with one that you have mentioned several times. You're surprised I did not name this band yet during all of our stuff. Blue because, October. Yeah, Blue October. Like <laughs> yeah. I love the band Blue October. I've seen them seven times now, I think, in concert, and they amaze me with how good they are. And um, when I Natalie, when I was dating Natalie, because she's from Texas, and that's where Blue October kind of started. So she kind of got me in, into them. And then Aaron gave me. Aaron bought one of their CDs one day and said it sucked, and he didn't like it, so he gave it to me. And then years later, he got it back, and now he's obsessed with the oh, band. Oh, funny. He wasn't uh, ready for them. Yeah. (laughs) And following them from back when they kind of started, like Justin, the singer, had like bad, I want to say psychological issues and drug problems. And they were very dark. Like when you think back to Hate Me, the song Hate Me, which is like their first song that you kind of knew that got to know them. Hate Me is like kind of a dark song. And even then seeing them in concert back, back then, if he was having a bad day, it showed in the concert. Oh, like he, really? They would do a really lousy job, and mm. he would be super, like, not good vibes. Like, when you were in the audience, it was, like, not good vibes because it was very dark. I just want to okay. say it was very dark. But then over the years, like, he's gotten so much better. Like, he doesn't, his, he's, like, one of the most uplifting people, mm. and it just floors me to see how he's come and I'm just really proud of him. And I'm going like seeing them in concert now is just amazing. Like I, I say it on here, but you, it is such a mixture of people in the crowd. Mm. So you have some like goth looking people, you have people in their sixties and people in flannel shirts and baseball hats, which is me. (laughs) Yeah. And we, every time we go, we do the meet and greet and he like has, because we've done it so many times, he kind of like knows us and, and just talking to them, like, during the meet and greet, they're, like, just actual, they're not, like, move along, move along. Yeah, You carry yeah. on a conversation with That's them, and they're cool. genuinely... Inter- they make inter- time Yes, for they're interested in what you say and stuff, and it's last time we went, our friend Liz, my friend Liz came with us, and she was wearing, like, your typical concert, like, short, tight shirt and, and ripped jeans and stuff, and the guitarist saw her, and he's like, whoa... And Justin is like, calm down, calm down, <laughs> you know, and they're just like super nice people. Just, I just love them. And I'm just so proud of Justin and how he is now compared to back then. So I am going with the song Home okay. by Blue October because like even people said like in the comments on under the video, people are like, it's just hard to believe that the person that wrote Hate Me wrote this really like happy song about friends and family. Hmm. So that is my song. I'm going to go with Home by Blue October, one of my favorite bands. Cool. I love the name, Blue October. I do too. Uh, my song is called Hyper Ballad, and it's by Bjork. Oh, nice. I love Bjork. I'm a big fan. I'm not a fan of Bjork. Mm, I love but her. I don't know where I came across it, but I love the song Army of Me. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's and like I, my but I'm not like song. a Bjork fan, but that's, that's such like a song, good song. That's one of those. That's I think that's the song that kind of made her famous. I yeah. remember when that came out. It's like it's like um, 
White Stripes. I never really cared for them, mm. but Seven Nation Army yeah, is like song. one of the best songs ever not written. Love that. And yeah. I feel like that kind of with Bjork with Army of Me, which yeah. is such a good song. It's a crazy video too. Um, so Hyper Ballad, and I love Bjork because. <laughs> you just do <laughs> no i'm just trying to gesture and oh, i realize the sweatshirt are, is so big that you your can't hands see are my inside. hand um i i like the contrast of her voice against like the she has kind of dark bassy music yeah. but she has sort of this sweet, lilty like a lilty voice. yeah um high kind of husky but high voice or whatever and um she's like this cute little petite icelandic woman yeah. anyway um but she the song hyper ballad is about she lives, I mean, the words are literally, I live on a mountain right at the top, this beautiful view, and she spends all day throwing things over the edge of the cliff and is just fascinated by the things falling down and the sounds they make, and she imagines what her body would sound like falling down the cliff. It's like that's, this really strange... That's cool and dark Yeah, it's like morbid, time. and I, I don't know. My friend Nikki, who, Nikki B., um, I just spent the day with her a couple weeks ago, or last week. Oh, is that when you sent me the girls, the girls' yeah, yeah, Day yeah. picture? That's when, awesome. When our friend yep. from the Middle East was home. Yep. That's her like favorite Bjork song, too. And it, there's just something so... I can't really explain it, but it, it kind of picks up the pace as it goes, and the music becomes more like... Um, it, I don't know. It, it's hard to explain, but it has this progression, and... It kind of has this peak at the end, and I don't I'm know. Post, it's post that really, in the group because I want to listen to that. I one. will. It's a great. It's a great, great song. So but, cool. Yeah. Hyper ballad by Bjork. Like. I'm excited to check that one out. Cool. Um, Deets. Ah, uh, Deets. Yeah. Pickle joke or Deets? Dude, pickle joke. I'll do a pickle joke. Terrible, terrible pickle joke. Let's see. Who's the toughest pickle in Dodge City? Marshall Dill. <laughs> The picture is the best. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. Our deets, you can email us at thestrangesessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the final S. Krista does like an award-winning job on Instagram. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we have so many. I love our Instagram. You always send me like the Instagram comments and stuff. And, and you guys, you're like, I don't recognize any of these names. No, I'm like, these are I'm the so people. I'm so used to the Facebook people. And those are our regular people. Yeah, those but, are the and people it's so weird to see like, like people us. that I don't know on, on Instagram. Uh, you can send us postcards and snail mail to The Strange Sessions at P.O. Box 434, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, 54221-0434. And you can call our lonely little phone line at 920-443-9602. Yeah, we haven't had a voicemail in a while. Nope. Oh, I just got dizzy. I don't know. Okay. Might have been a Rocky Mountain high. <laughs> I, know, I just got weirdly <laughs> Is dizzy. Is the elevation too high in my I basement? So. I just got weirdly dizzy. Um, and I think that's it for us. Cool. Uh, next episode will be a mini mystery yep so i love those me too um i think that's it cool i do not recommend sour licorice whips with a spicy taco, taco sauce, sauce on them <laughs> and i think anything else no i think that's it i think from krista and i down in the strange cellar i almost said from the old school media studio oh, funny but down from the strange cellar until next time stay, stay strange, strange.